Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I'm a big fan when the blue beam in the sky goes in the other direction. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. This sequel to Chappie did not go how I expected. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I'm happy to tell you guys how what I thought of this week's movie, but I've I've actually hidden it inside this little girl. Okay. Please don't do that, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Those are all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we are going to be discussing The Creator, new film by Gareth Edwards. And I say Edwards like that because when I wrote a review for it at decodingeverything.com, I accidentally typed in Gareth Evans multiple times. Happens. Like it's it happens. Hard to keep them apart because they, they both need have different names, these people. Yeah. Gareth E names. Uh, hard to keep apart. Anyway, Gareth Edwards' new film, yeah. The Creator. It's out in theaters right now. We're going to be talking about it here on the Filmcast. Find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And I'm uh, oh, sorry. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Find more episodes at thefilmcast.com and find us across all platforms at the Filmcast Pod. We're on Instagram, we're on threads, and so forth. We're also on TikTok at the Filmcast. And of course, if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash filmpodcast is where you can sign up for ad free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Uh, next week, actually, I'm sorry, this week on the After Dark, get my dates mixed up. Uh, we are going to be covering The Exorcist, the original William Friedkin film right here on the Filmcast After Dark. So look forward to that, After Dark subscribers. At which Exorcist, so Dave? Yeah, like, well, there's, which version? There's three different versions. I watched the theatrical version. Devendra, you've watched the, the version you've never seen. Yeah. It's, it's so hilarious to me, by the way, that it's called the version you haven't seen or the version you've never seen. <laughs> it reminds me of, like, remember um, back in the day when DVDs used to come out? They would uh -huh. be like... These weird ass like DVD editions. That's right? where it's like, from. That's where the title's yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like a 2000 era DVD. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, it's like the the forbidden version or, you know. I like, love it. I love it. Like the I don't version like the, too the, hot the... for audience. Like it's literally would be the branding on the movie, uh, the DVD yeah. disc. The Spider yeah, Walk but... was too much for audiences of the, yes, at the time. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the Crime and Punishment Edition. You know, it's it's like just <laughs> weird and unusual names for these DVDs. And uh, that's when, you know, the version you've never seen came out for The Exorcist. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, there's three different versions and we'll have yeah. watched like a couple different ones and we'll talk about the differences. I, I will throw in, a shout the out there. Yeah. There is a version on HBO, which I believe is in uh, HD. And uh, to me, I thought that could not stand because I also know this movie was remastered in 4K mm. recently. So there is a 4K cut of the theatrical and the 4K cut of the version you've never seen, both on iTunes or wherever you can rent stuff. Yeah, I, I think Jeff and I watched the one on Max, the one to watch for HBO, which is yeah. uh, probably feels like it's 1080p from what I could tell. It, it yeah. definitely, it, it is. And I think the I think the remastering just looks great yeah, on the yeah, new yeah. version. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, The Exorcist is what we're going to be covering on the After Dark this week. Uh, and that is in preparation for our review of Exorcist The Believer next week on It's also because it's spoopy season. Mm. Yes. Gotta get well, well said. Well said. All right. Uh, before we get to what we've been watching and our review today, though, uh, we got a couple of film news items. And I mean, there's one big piece of industry news that we really need to discuss. And that is the successful funding of the greatest, nay, best, nay, only ever book of film limericks. Jeff Canada. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We did it. We did it together as a family. Best summed up the ultimate film limerick quiz book. 
hit its mark. That means it's going to be published. Woo! Uh, we did it in under a week, which is pretty rad. And the crowdfunding portion of this project is still in full swing. So you can still get a copy. This is the best way to ensure you will get a copy. The only way to get a signed copy, if that's something that excites you, and a variety of other incentives in the... Uh, that are uh, available in the crowd. The only way to get a signed copy. So if, if somebody approaches you with the book, <laughs> I will not. And like, I refuse. Never I be like, please never sign again. this, Jeff. You're going to be like, I refuse. I, yeah, I will say, perhaps you should have thought about that yeah. earlier. A please plague, sign this for my dying child, Jeff Kanata. <laughs> yeah. A plague on both your houses is what you're going to say in response. <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I am so grateful that uh, you know enough folks uh, found it interesting enough, found it valuable enough to support best summed up. I just think it's going to be really cool uh, that this thing is going to be in, in stores. I did uh, erroneously <laughs> say uh, <laughs> I was, uh, I got a, I got a, a sharply worded email <laughs> from, mm. from my friends over at unbound saying, uh, Jeff, it's not this holiday season that we're talking. Oh, wow. wow. These, <laughs> things, these things take time. It, it turns time. out. So, uh, I, we're well, hoping. I'm glad, I, are... I'm glad I called attention to that on the podcast. last <laughs> Yes. <week. laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 2024 holiday. Yes. 2024 is when we're hoping to get this there thing you in, go. in stores. But, um, uh, the best way to ensure that you, you get yourself a copy. If you want to get one of the cool, cool copies, this is the first edition copies. This is, uh, it would be great to continue uh, expanding beyond 100% funding, uh, show them the demand uh, that we have. So, you know, the, the book is not super expensive. I think it would make a great gift. Uh, I think it will be fun to uh, peruse all these goofy limericks that I've done over the years and maybe quiz your friends. So uh, get over there, unbound.com slash books. Uh, you can get in on the action with Best Summed Up, which is still still in its crowdfunding phase. So uh, I really appreciate it. and. I'm super grateful, and I, um, you know, I'm excited to see where this goes next. Very cool. Uh, thanks to everyone who checked out Jeff's book at Unbound.com last week, and you can continue to check it out. All right. Uh, last week on the podcast, we talked about how the writer strike was on the verge of being over, uh, but we recorded that podcast in the interregnum between when the deal had been tentatively agreed upon and when the details of the deal were released. Um, so we didn't really have a chance to talk about like what the deal was. Uh, that de the details of the Writers Guild deal have now been released, uh, and uh, largely the sentiment seems to be very positive from the writers. I've spoken with multiple writers, and people seem to be very happy mm -hmm. with uh, some of these deal points. And there's a few that I just thought it'd be worth mentioning. Um, first of all, there was uh, one deal point around. Uh, more money if your show does well, basically. And it's something along the lines of... What if, a concept, yeah. I know, it's shocking. Uh, if 20% of the people who subscribe to your streaming service watch this thing uh, in the first 90 days of release, in, in, the, uh, in the TV show or film that you've made, uh, then you get some kind of financial bonus for that. Uh, now, in, in the short term, that is going to impact very few TV shows and films, and the bonus is not that much. But the way the Writers Guild have been positioning many of these changes is that this is kind of a, uh, a template for future deals. Like, there has never been a viewership-based uh, bonus before 
in the contract. And now next time they have a template for how you can do it. Maybe next time you can negotiate it's 10% instead of 20%. Or next time you can negotiate the bonuses higher or whatever. Um, but this kind of establishes a template for that. And so that's a, that's a big deal. Um, there's going to be a little bit more transparency. Apparently the uh, streamers will be sharing uh, v- aggregated viewership numbers with the guild, which they will then be able to confidently share or in confidence share with <laughs> guild members unclear exactly what that is going to look like or what Mm -hmm. the aggregated data is going to be. But that is a first, like there's never been data sharing of that kind um, with the writer's guild. And so again, template for future, but currently it's not that impressive, but it's going to be, you know, it's the first of its kind. And then finally, the thing that I think, uh, you know, is going to be of interest to us, you know, moving forward as we're really interested in creative fields is the AI stuff I thought was actually really strong. Um, Part of the deal is the AI cannot write or rewrite literary material. Um, and AI-generated material will not be considered source material uh, under the deal. So that, that was a big fear that people had mm-hmm. was uh, you could have AI write something. Like, hey, write a script, blah, blah, And then uh, have a writer do a rewrite and then pay that writer nothing or very little, right? right compared right, to what they yeah. would be paid if they had actually originated the work. Um, so... Uh, I, I thought these were all like pretty positive things, you know, not like the the most ideal contract, uh, but the, the sentiment seems to be quite positive among many writers that they got a lot of the concessions that they were looking for. Um, did you guys have any thoughts? Did you guys hear anything? You know, what what what, what is your reaction to 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 the deal? Um, just curious if you had any thoughts on it. I feel like Jeff, you you would probably know more, but from the tech side of things, I think we were definitely looking at the AI stuff, yeah, uh, through the engagement lens and everything. And I think it's kind of fascinating because this could also set a template for what other unions demand or what right. other workers demand in terms of how AI is being treated. Because I also know, um, what is it, video game voice actors, right? Also, yeah. um, announced that they're going to that they would want to go on strike, and they do want to work with AI because they know realistically it's going to be a thing. That's going to be, um, you know, it, it's more, it's, I think it's different than what the WJ was seeking. Yeah, yeah, but but I think w- under this contract, a lot of control goes to the writers in terms yes. of whether they use AI or not, right? Like, mm-hmm. so uh, under the deal, quote, a writer can choose to use AI when performing writing services if the company consents mm-hmm. and provided the writer follows applicable company co- policies. Uh, but the company cannot require the writer to use AI software when performing writing services. That's key. So, yeah, yeah. And so, if if uh, the the artist or the creator is able to get a little bit more control uh, with the AI in this situation, I think that's a win. Jeff Kanata, any other thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm certainly not a member of the WGA, um, so I'm speaking at it from the outside looking in. But um, you know, it is at first blush, I think felt like a a real big win for the writers uh, in in this negotiation. Uh, I think I've heard some uh, sort of a deeper dive into it where some folks are suggesting it might not be uh, as big a win as, you know, it it seemed initially that um, there are ways for, you know, there's wiggle room in there for especially specifically the AI stuff. I'm not an expert. I haven't really delved into the the details, but it's interesting to me that they seem to have bent on a number of these these deal points. There's definitely more money. There's definitely the, the sort of guarantees of uh, of employment. I think yeah. are, are Min- big minimum wins. staffing uh, yeah. agreements, which was a big deal. Which was one of the big deal points as well. Was like um, now, like a writer is guaranteed some amount of weeks of work 
if they're contracted to work on on a show or or a film, and that's a big deal. So yeah, I I I, I don't think you know my two cents here for what it's worth is um is that I I, I don't think this puts a, the the issue of AI creativity to rest, and it certainly doesn't protect uh human beings the way we would hope. And I think it, we, we, this is still a developing issue that um, is by no means, um, I think, resolved because who knows what the next five years are going to bring within that space and how much, you know, how much content is going to be um, affected by the, these new tools. Just putting it in the hands of the writers, I don't know if that, I don't know what that's going to do. And I don't know what audiences are going to expect. It's it just there's so many question marks around it that I I am unsettled uh, yeah. about mm. this particular contract as far as like really protecting the the writers. Uh, and and I'm curious as to how this will affect you know SAG's negotiation ongoing yeah. negotiation. So yeah, the SAG, the SAG after negotiation, I I actually feel like will be. Um, it will be more obvious to the consumer, you know, how AI impacts SAG after negotiations. Because mm -hmm, I think there's mm -hmm. been a lot of talk about people scanning your body and using it in perpetuity. And like, I think people have just been doing this previously. And now um, it's going to be probably part of the contract, or at least SAG after is going to demand it, that it's part of the contract, um, that people's images and likeness rights are more protected. Um, so I'm curious how it will be resolved as well. And I, I'd agree with you, Jeff. I think that this is far from... Um, Far from over when it comes to AI. You know, the contract only lasts a few years. So in a few years from now, uh, who knows where we'll be? I mean, who could have predicted that three years ago we would be here where we are today? You know what I'm saying? So like right. in three years from now, who knows how much AI will have advanced? The other thing I just want to mention is that the consensus from a couple of writers I've spoken with seems to be that if you do get staffed on a show, uh, or if you do get you know contracted to work on a show or a film, this contract will do a better job of making sure you uh, are taken care of, can make a living, and so on. But fewer people that will happen to fewer people as a result of the contract, right? Um, because of the higher requirements. In 2022, I think the number of scripted shows was something along the lines of 599. So like. A staggeringly high number of shows. Uh, peak TV, basically more shows than viewership can support. And I think that is obvious every week here on this podcast when we each bring up like three shows that we've been watching uh, on a weekly basis, you know, and it's just like there's there's more shows being produced than than can be financially supported. And I think we will see a contraction in the years to come um, that there are going to be fewer jobs, but the jobs that exist uh, will be better. Uh, and that's kind of uh, the mixed bag that is going to come with this uh, this development. So anyway, just a few details about the new WGA contract. But uh, uh, the the overwhelming feeling I got from, from several writers I spoke with is relief that this is over. And yeah. I am also relieved and, um, and hoping that SAG-AFTRA's strike, uh, that they will be able to get a fire contract soon as well. Uh, because yeah, it's been, it's been hard on a lot of people, the whole, uh, the events the last few months, um, people who are striking, but also people below the line, uh, and hoping, yeah, everyone gets a fair contract and the studios finally come to the senses here. I mean, obviously things aren't back to normal, right? We still have a mad, massive strike in effect.
but there's certain things, you know, late night shows are coming back, stuff yeah. like that. So. Certain things can begin again. Yeah. You know, certain production can begin again. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not over, but, uh, hopefully the writer's strike deal provides a little bit of a template for SAG after and their negotiations. And, and this thing can be over, um, and, soon, you know, uh, Marvel's taking pitches on the X-Men movie. So, mm. you know, <laughs> there you <laughs> there's go. There's that. It's we're, we're back to normal already, baby. No, not really, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, those are some details about the writer's uh, guild agreement with the AMPTP. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more right after this. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from 0 to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. There's one other piece of film news I wanted to mention to you guys. Uh, and that is that I think for the first time or one of the first times, uh, ever, the director Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One, a Star Wars story, has actually spoken about his experience making that film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the the last we heard was uh, Tony Gilroy gave an interview to the Moment podcast uh, by Brian Koppelman, and he he talked f- frankly about what his experience was like ro- working on Rogue One. Some of the details he gave on that podcast, this was in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said when he, when Tony Gilroy happened upon, like when he started working on Rogue One, he said, quote, they were in such a swamp. They were in so much terrible, terrible trouble that all you could do was improve their situation. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what he I mean, said about Rogue One. D- yeah. Dagobah's right there. You had Dagobah <laughs> right there. He, he also, was a real Star Wars fan. He would have that, Yeah. He also said, he also revealed that he came in after the director's cut and uh, that he has a screenplay uh, screenplay credit in the arbitration that was easily won, end quote. Which, if you know anything about how screenplay credits are won, he had to prove that he contributed a shit ton of, mm-hmm. of, uh, sort of material to that story to, to prove that he, uh, he should have gotten a screenplay credit. And he did get one. He said it was easily won. So, uh, a lot of people have speculated that he basically took over the film uh, and Gareth Edwards was kind of sidelined. Well, Gareth Edwards has now given multiple interviews talking about what actually happened on the set of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Uh, on a recent episode of KCRW's The Business. Billy really felt like you were about to play a clip. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> I should have. You know, I, should, I, th- I thought about it. I thought about it. But, uh, you know. Uh, on a respectable th- podcast, that's what would happen. Yeah, indeed. You know? Indeed. Indeed. Um, well, he says, quote, the stuff that's out there on the internet about what happened on that film, there is so much inaccuracy about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Tony Gilroy came in and he did a lot of great work for sure. No doubt about it. But we all worked together until the entire last minute of that movie. 
Um, the very last thing that we filmed in the pickup shoot was the Darth Vader corridor scene. I did all of that stuff, end quote. So he does seem to be reframing it as though, hey, they all they all worked together. Yes, Tony Gilroy came mm-hmm. in. They did some work together. But he's reframing it as like they all worked together on it. It wasn't like a contentious process. It's really weird that it took him this long to, to even say that. Because the story was, Gilroy specifically, was like, hey, the Darth Vader <laughs> thing sounds cool. Let's shoot. And he shot that. Like, that was the story for a long time. Yeah, I, I think that... Uh, for, first of all, okay, mm-hmm. he said one other thing. He also said, quote, I got to make a Star Wars film. I won the lottery in that sense. The idea of someone as privileged as me in any way implying that it was anything other than the amazing experience that it was, I don't have any empathy for that person and I don't want to be that person either, end quote. Aww. Yeah. Uh, That's so good. A, a, he's a class act. Class I act, think. yeah. Class act. B, my sense was he was, he was a good soldier. Like when he was promoting the film like he he never talked about any of this stuff right he, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he they brought in someone to basically take over at least the story of the film even if they collaborated together and it right? seems like more like helping out because it's easy to get overwhelmed like this guy went from indie movie to yeah. godzilla to this so you know if fresh. i was shooting a movie and they're yes. like we got to get tony gilroy in here to take over for you i'd be like yes please, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> one of the greatest storytellers of our age thank you um, Does but, he need my apartment? <laughs> can he sleep in my bed, please? <laughs> um, but yeah, so the whole time he has to- uh, towed the company line, um, and and really his his statements really reframe it as more of a collaboration than mm-hmm. Tony Gilroy came in and and took over everything, you know. And uh, and I just think that's interesting, and I can I, I continue to admire the way that Gareth Edwards has handled this whole thing, you know? Yep. So yep. just wanted to just wanted to throw that out there because I thought that was kind of interesting. All right. Um, so that is some of the film news from this week. Let's get to what we've been watching this week. I want to talk about a movie that is out in theaters right now. It's going to be on Netflix this week. It's called Fair Game. Have you guys it's heard about this? It's called Fair Play. Fair Play. That's what I meant to say. Not the Cindy Crawford not, uh, or not the, No, you have the uh, the other one. The other one on your on your hand. The Born Identity. The Doug Lyman movie. Oh, Fair yeah. Game. The Doug Lyman uh, spy movie. You have movie. Doug Lyman yeah. on your head, as yeah, always. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Uh, I'm talking about Fair Play, the Chloe Dumont uh, movie, or Domont movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie attracted a lot of attention this year because it uh, debuted at Sundance and was purchased by Netflix for an eye-watering $20 million. Uh, so it was one of those massive, mm-hmm. uh, high-profile acquisitions. And uh, I'm going to be as vague as possible about the premise because uh, I think this is a movie you guys will enjoy. So I'm going to be super vague, but it's basically about two people who work at a hedge fund and they're dating. That's, yes, that's the premise of the the movie. Uh, they're secretly dating. They're secretly Nobody dating because people look down upon the dating at this hedge fund where you know it's uh, kind of old. It's it, mm-hmm. think of um, like uh, Mad Men, you know, and think of like I guess not Mad Men because probably relationships happen all the time, affairs happen all the time. But like it, pe- people look down upon it if you're if you have like inter office relationships. It's a very cutthroat, hardcore culture, uh, and so it's about these two characters who are dating at this hedge fund and um the high wire act that needs to be walked in that situation uh i think this movie's great Mm -hmm. you know i I saw some negative buzz about this movie specifically around the fact that um industry the show that divinity hardware talked about is like they think it's superior to to this movie yes Um, i will talk about this in a bit but yeah just definitely a lot of uh 
fraternal relations in that show. That's mm-hmm. for sure. It, it is basically industry the movie. So if yeah, it is, if, if it is taboo well. for people at a hedge fund to uh, boink, <laughs> right. somebody hasn't told the folks over at industry. I think you know it was, it's a policy of this company. As I, I saw this movie during yeah. Sundance, I believe it was a policy of the company. That's right. That that's there's right. none of that. Yeah. Policy of the company. Uh, but yeah, uh, the movie is great. It explores workplace dynamics, male t- uh uh, toxic masculinity and you know gender uh, gender power structures in modern workplaces and uh, the the thing that really makes a movie work is the two lead performances by Phoebe Dive Dinever Dinever mm-hmm. Phoebe Dinever and Alden Ehrenreich who I'm just happy that guy's still getting work man hey. I mean, uh, solo Star Wars story. I thought he did great in that movie, but uh, the movie didn't do very well. And Alden Ehrenreich, he's in Oppenheimer. He's in Fair Play, mm-hmm. uh, and he is great in this film. So uh, I really had a great time with this film. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it's thrilling. You know, you know, here's what happened. I'll tell you a story, guys. Uh, something happened in this movie. I watched this uh, via a Netflix screener. Something happened in this movie that was so uncomfortable. I had to pause the movie and take a break from the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's the kind yeah. of movie it is where I'm like, I got to pause and like take a walk because I am. It's like, a movie that makes you feel dirty because it's my, people doing, I, you know, difficult things. Yeah. 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 My, my, my skin is crawling because of how, how uncomfortable that scene was. Yeah. And that's how I felt for most of the film. So, uh, it's also a film, by the way, that reinforces the importance of communication, both at work and in relationships. You know, if people were just better communicators, and I think that's the main takeaway of this movie. Yes, yeah. absolutely. If people were just more communicative, uh, people wouldn't have as many problems. So anyway, that is fair play. It is one thing I've been watching this week. It's out in theaters right now. It's going to be on Netflix say, I, I, next week. I yeah. saw Fair Play at Sundance. And, and you I also liked it? it back then. Yeah, I remember. I it. like it quite a bit. There was a lot of buzz. At, oh my God, what a what an interesting sexual thriller, you know? And I'm like, there's sex in it, but have <laughs> we have we fallen so far that a movie with a couple of uh, steamy scenes is a sex thriller? I don't think so. Um, yeah, it, indis- it, it's, yeah, it's branded as an erotic thriller, yes, and I, I think that is. is a very no, sir. That's yeah. Anybody who lived through Michael Douglas's you know uh, run in the nineties <laughs> cannot call this. An erotic thriller. Yeah. Um, but uh, pe- these people have not seen Body Heat. They have not seen, you know, uh, what is that movie? Uh, the Mickey Rourke, Kim Basinger movie. Yeah. Uh, How dare nine you? Nine and a half weeks. How dare you right? put Body Heat in the body. same <laughs> sentence as any M- Mickey Rourke? Anyway. Anyway, body heat's well, an amazing my point movie. Is neither, my point is neither of those movies should be mentioned mm-hmm. in conjunction with Fair Play, in my opinion. It's, yeah. it's so. just a whole different thing. I, I do want to say, I think it's a great movie. I can't wait till more people see it because there's a lot of stuff to talk about, yes. especially when it comes to relationship dynamics. Especially, Absolutely. this is a movie about two very high-powered uh, you know, people who want to succeed, are doing whatever it takes to succeed at their jobs. The unfortunate thing is they work at the same place. So if one of them succeeds, it may be a bad thing for the other. And how do you deal with that in a dynamic, in a relationship dynamic? But I do want to say so much of this movie is basically industry, like in terms of the relationships between the characters, in terms of the like workaholism, um, being in an abusive workplace, industry, folks, I'm glad we talked about it here on the show. Industry is fantastic. So do check that out, but also check out Fair Play. I mean, the only downside of this movie, Fair Play, is if I really wanted to experience an uncomfortable story about a hyper-intelligent woman constantly humiliating an insecure man, I wouldn't need to leave my house. 
Hey, yo. <laughs> anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that's what made you feel so uncomfortable. Hey, you just have to like, hey, yo. Yeah. You have to leave. Well, that's... maybe you guys shouldn't have had sex while working at that hedge fund. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair play. And it is uh, in, in theaters now. It will be on Netflix uh, in like a week. So, yeah. That's one thing I've been watching. Devendra Hardwar introduced this next topic for us. Yes, I have been watching a few things, which I think are kind of miraculous. Mr. Wes Anderson has done a series of short films uh, based on the short stories of Rodal for Netflix. And it's kind of a surprise because I remember there was buzz coming out of uh, TIFF, I think, um, that there were reviews coming out of uh, the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, which is like the main one, the longest one. That one stars uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Dev Patel, and Ray Fiennes. But kind of out of nowhere, hey, there's more shorts. More Wes Anderson shorts based on Rodal. So I, I just found that kind of surprising, kind of delightful. And I have seen three of these. I've seen The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, which is, I think, the one everybody should just start with. Um, just to like get used to this format. I saw Poison, which also stars uh, Cumberbatch and Def Patel. And um, and uh, Mr. Ben Kingsley too. He's in a bunch of these. And I saw the Rat Catcher as well. So it's Sir the, Ben Kingsley. He'll he'll correct yeah. you. Yeah. It's yeah. Sir, Sir Ben Kingsley. I mean, have you been corrected, Jeff? Uh, I would love. My to understanding be is that ben he Kingsley. corrects everybody. I would love to be corrected by Ben Kingsley. Me so, too. Yes, please. Um, I think these all of these projects are fascinating. But I'm going to start with the wonderful story of Henry Sugar because it really introduces the format of what's happening here. Because um, not not to spoil too much, but it is basically all the characters speaking aloud the dialogue from the Rodal's short stories. N- not only the dialogue, the, the text, the, the prose. Text, the yeah. text. I, I saw some reviews saying it was verbatim. I'm not sure that's necessarily true. But uh, this, you know, uh, Henry Sugar starts with uh, Rafe Vines playing Rodal in his uh, in his little writing shack, um, introducing the story where he introduces Benedict Cumberbatch's character and then ben- Benedict Cumberbatch's character reads another story about Dev Patel's character. And uh, I, I just find that, you know, he has done this quite a bit. I think even Asteroid City has like a framing within a framing within a framing. But the storytelling, like the way this works is so propulsive and so fascinating. It is like the most entertaining people in the world just sitting down and telling you a story and there are visuals to go along with it. It is it is just a delight. And this particular story involves, um, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch's character reading about somebody who can see without using his eyes. And that's it. And I think it's wonderfully told. It's wonderfully acted. Um, I like Wes Anderson quite a bit. I did not like uh, his movie. What was the one set in India? I forget. Darjeeling Darjeeling Limited. Limited. I did not like Darjeeling Limited. And I feel like a lot of these stories in many ways feel like, okay, uh, maybe maybe I didn't do right by India, you know, <laughs> in terms of that setting. This involved, you know, bringing in people like Dev Patel and Ben Kingsley and telling really interesting stories that at one point, I think even even kind of have like a statement on colonialism. Um, I find that all really fascinating. These are just well done. I wish the wonderful story of Henry Sugar was longer. It is um, it's like f- uh, almost 40 minutes, but also... I watched a bunch of these back to back because Netflix was releasing them day and day, um, uh, basically once per day throughout the last week. Um, it is a bit exhausting as a storytelling force. So there mm-hmm. is that, you know, yeah, maybe you do need that break. Maybe you can't be in this forever, but did you notice that in- Netflix doesn't automatically auto put yeah. you in the next one? 
it's nice. So, it's so it's weird, right? Because I, I was expecting this to be like a series, right? Yeah, and they're, they're not like episodics. They're, they're not yeah, contained. Yeah. They're they're also impossible to find. <laughs> yeah, because not... I'm I'm somebody who's watched lots of Wes Anderson stuff. Wasn't on my main feed. I search Wes Anderson. I see several <laughs> movies that don't even aren't even by Wes Anderson, but pop up alongside these things. I'm like, you have one job, Netflix. You get mm. Wes Anderson to do something. Just just highlight it. Put it put it in a little subcategory. I don't know, or at least index it better. So anyway, I like these things. Um, we could talk about the others, but Henry Sugar in particular, I would suggest starting with that one. I, I want to just mention that uh, Wes Anderson gave an interview to the New York Times where he has been trying to crack this story for decades, mm. apparently. Mm-hmm. He has been trying, like, uh, he's obviously worked with Roald Dahl stories before, and uh, the the Roald Dahl estate has basically set the stories aside for Wes Anderson. They're like, hey, if you ever want to do this one, you know, it's all you, Wes Anderson. Fantastic like, Mr. Fox yeah. is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yes, that's right, yes, that's sir. right. Uh, but, but, they, but they also said, like, they were willing to let him have this one, as you know, uh, the stories of Henry Sugar and six others. Um, and he couldn't crack it, and he said the thing that, made him finally crack it is just having the characters literally read from the text of Rose yes. Roald Dahl. Because yes. he's like, without that, the playfulness of the language he felt was not brought to life in the story. Uh, and yeah, I, I think this is a perfect marriage of subject or uh, source material and director. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wes Anderson loves framing devices. Um, yes. Grand Budapest, yes, French Dispatch, Asteroid City. Like these each have framing devices. And so, and so does uh, the story of Henry Sugar, the wonderful story, uh, story of Henry Sugar, which is like there's a book within a story within a book. You know, it's like this is like this is perfect for him, and I think he does a marvelous job with it. I ha- I had a great time with the two that I watched, which were Henry Sugar and also Poison. Jeff Kanata, what were your thoughts on Wes Anderson's Henry Sugar shorts? This is profoundly my shit. Yeah, um, profound. I love Wes Anderson. I think. At the risk of hyperbole, I think this is my favorite Wes Anderson thing ever. Whoa! Um, I mean, I think this feels like the height of his powers. To be yeah, it it does. It does feel. Yeah, you said it right. It's the perfect marriage of uh, of of uh, adaptee and adapter. Yep. Uh, Yep. And it also, I think, put into stark relief for me what a genius Raoul Dahl is, because Mm -hmm. you, I have always just associated him with you know sort of children's stories these are not children's stories yeah these are exquisitely written parables and my god does the language sing in these it it, it is i mean it is like i said profoundly my shit it's about artifice and theatricality it's about language it's it it is a showcase for this beautiful language and and his actors in long takes reciting monologues at at incredible speeds uh you know really really being theatrical embracing the theatricality of the presentation of this mm-hmm. language and it it's is also like a theater troupe like it's a it's yes, the same well, few actors playing different yeah, roles yeah exactly just, exactly yeah. it is it is how one might experience this if one was sitting in a a theater and there were three act three four actors playing all the parts uh there are sequences where we actually see them take off uh costume <laughs> yeah. pieces and change costume pieces um you know the 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 backdrops break away there are all, you know these things that are that are 
constants in Wes Anderson's work, but here I think are brought to bear in a way that really makes this into a storytelling, a, a, a fireside a recitation of just exquisitely written works. And um, I, yes, Henry Sugar is a masterpiece, I think. It, is a, it, it, is, it speaks to our time. Uh, it, it, it is about what is important in the world, especially in this, this time of, of sort of crass capitalism run amok. Uh, it, it, it's beautiful, but, I, but do not sleep on the other ones. Yeah. Uh, I watched The Swan and was moved to tears. Um, it is impossibly good, impossibly good. And, and these might end up being on my top 10 of the year in some way, because they are, they are the exact length that they need to be, but they feel like complete thoughts. They feel like film experiences. They don't feel less than, or sort of television or sort of afterthoughts of, Oh, he's just doing shorts. They are, exquisite and mm -hmm. i was bowled over by this i'm so so happy this is made and i hope more people watch them uh, i'm not quite as hot as you on them jeff but i also really like this i think this is wonderful and you know you you brought up a great point jeff during our asteroid city conversation i think about how like the fact that the artifice is obvious to you is like a Obviously, a feature, right? Not yeah. a bug, and like it has a it has a specific effect on the audience, right? Like it, it forces you to reconsider those aspects. I, I, what do you? What is your? I don't want to badly summarize what you said. Like, what is your opinion on the artifice in Wes Anderson movies? Like specifically, being able to see that it's a set or a miniature or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Well, it's what is Brechtian, right? Bertolt yeah. Brecht, yes, uh, that's right, that's right. Famous uh, old uh, playwright and director. Um, sort of introduced this notion into modern culture. Uh, I don't, I can tell you the years he was active, but you know, um, you know, uh, early 20th century, I believe. Um, and uh, it, it is the notion that forces the audience to, to reckon with the fact that what they are watching is a presentation mm -hmm. and that, you know, the artifice, the way Wes Anderson wields it, I think highlights the hi highlights the presentation right highlights the the fact that this story is being is is larger than life is grander than life and sort of f focuses our uh, understanding of it through this prism of of uh, you know uh, romanticism it, it's like it it actually heightens the the lyricism of the language it heightens mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. the sort of uh, playfulness of everything he's doing and you see it, you see all of the steps that, that are, they're taking. You're kind of brought into this magical world where everything can unfold like an origami creation in front of you. I find it to be transportive. I find it to be, um, you know, it, it, it infuses everything with a magical quality that mm -hmm. totally speaks to me. I love it, it. It's just so delightful. I feel like that's, I just feel delighted by every sing, a single thing. And he also has a great group of actors too, like having Dev Patel here, having Richard Ayoade here too, as a, in some of the roles, I think it's just, there's just so much fun. Everybody's on board. Everybody understands what's happening. It just feels like creatively, everyone's just like, yeah, synced up and on board. And it just feels so good to watch. Well, you can tell he's, he's selected people that have, theater mm -hmm. chops mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i can i can just imagine how 
wonderful this must be for them because you are so rarely asked to do anything like this. Um, you know, carry, uh, you know, three, four, five minutes of uninterrupted filming where you're moving, you know, you're, you're constantly speaking this, this incredibly lyrical monologue while moving through space and interacting with things and hitting exact beats. It, it just, it's a very technical style of acting, but mm -hmm. he gets actors that can make it seem effortless and natural. And it's, I mean, I, I, like I said, it's profoundly my shit. I, I just, I, I want him to keep making this stuff. And I love as much as I've loved his original work and, and the collaborations that he's had with, you know, um, Oh, you know, he has writing partners that are near constant in his work. I yeah. love seeing him adapt other writers and honor the language that they bring to it. Like he, he clearly loves the language of doll and that's kind of what's so special about Dahl's writing is how it's expressed. So oftentimes when you see an adaptation, it strips the, the writing of all that and just gets to the story. And I mm -hmm. love that Anderson recognizes that what's special here is the language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on that point about the artifice. Uh, it really worked for me in the, in these shorts in a way that it didn't, in Asteroid City. I, th I think, I guess, just the fact that they're reading from the, the like, Roald Dahl's text itself kind of helped me to get in the right mindset of it, mm -hmm, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Whereas, like, Asteroid City, my expectations are, I'm here to watch a, a movie. You know, I'm here to watch, like, yeah, yeah, conventional... Yeah, you don't know yeah. what you're stepping into with Asteroid City, whereas this is, like, this I'm, like, oh, I'm going to get a story from it's Roald very Dahl. Clear. Yeah. It's very clear what this is. This is, this is like, a an on-screen kind of theater troupe Rendition. Mm -hmm. There's really no but way. So to is Asteroid it. City, right? The, the, it, it the of conceit yeah. of yeah. Asteroid yeah. City is the same, and I think yeah. I think the heart of uh, Anderson's um, aesthetic is really trying to express visually what happens in your brain, or perhaps only in his brain, mm -hmm. when reading. Like that's why every one of his movies seems to have this framing device of text. Like it's always a writer writing. It's always. A, a a text being expressed. It's always a theater company. Yeah. Do it. It's always comes from written words. There's always uh, um, text on the screen. There's, you know, these, the one before that, right, was a newspaper company and it was articles in a new, like a yeah. New Yorker yeah. style mm -hmm. magazine. So I think that the way these things unfold and, and are presented, I think are trying to get at the way words paint pictures in your brain which is different than the way movies paint pictures. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, what a year for him, too. Just Dude, I also oh, really all these things in the same year. It's amazing. All these things. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said, Jeff. I think I'm trying to interrogate why I had such a more positive reaction to this film than Asteroid City. You know, and I think uh, one of one of the reasons unacknowledged as of now is uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Roald Dahl and his books. Like I spent a lot of time reading mm -hmm. Roald Dahl books, and so like I already have emotional connection to this story. Um, but also, I think that um, I, I would argue that these shorts feel even more freed from the constraints of typical, you know, movie storytelling than Asteroid City did. Yeah, uh, that, that, yeah. I would argue that you, you, you don't have to build ninety minutes. Exactly, around you may the not story. agree, but like yeah. I would argue that hey, we're, we can just let this be. We're <laughs> narrating a story, and the set's changing around you, and then now, oh, and now the story's over, and like that's mm -hmm. you know that's it. And I, I 
you know, I, I am much more willing to accept that as a viewer for this than for Asteroid City. But that's me personally. I, I, I kind of want to rewatch yeah. Asteroid City after seeing these just because like going into that movie is a little baffling. Like you don't know what you're getting. Are you watching a late night show? Are you watching somebody doing a play? Are you watching mm-hmm. people rehearse a play? And you're always like unmoored by what it is. Whereas here is like sure footing. Like, you know exactly what he's delivering. Right, and I find that right. really refreshing. I want to point out real quick, um, Poison, I think, is one of the, like, best thrillers we've gotten this year. <laughs> Just, like, in term because it's it's Benedict Cumberbatch on a bed. That's that's <laughs> what it is. And people, Steph Patel and Ben Kingsley running around him, Benedict Cumberbatch thinks he has a snake under his sheets. That's That's the story. It's just so well done and also ends in a way that I think is really, really interesting. Yeah. I, I appreciate what you're saying, Dave. I, I wonder uh, if the, the difference you're perceiving, I mean, I think, I think there mm-hmm. is a difference clearly. Yeah. I mean, it, it is more heightened. Like there, people are saying lines and then saying, he said, I yeah. said, you know, that, which yeah. it's, it's, it, that's a difference. However, I wonder if, if, if your, the way it lands on you can be summed up just simply by the fact that doll is the superior writer. Mm, <laughs> you yeah. know the the, mean, the writing yeah. is just better yeah, which I, really I think good. wes anderson is a great writer but i yeah. i think doll is in a stratosphere that few reach yeah sure. and there's a reason why his books are known around the world and have been for decades uh perhaps jeff perhaps anyway um who know, who know? There, it's probably a combination of everything we've discussed but uh i did really love these shorts um, more than Asteroid City uh, but you know it's they're they're both great exemplars of wes anderson's work uh, there are four shorts, uh, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, The Swan, The Rat Catcher, and Poison. And they can basically be viewed in any order, uh, and they should all be available on Netflix right now. But yeah, uh, really fun, really great stuff, and you should check it's, it out. It's yeah. great to see Ray Fiennes also just having fun. Like yeah. Rat Catcher really has him in a really fun role, too. Yeah, He seems Wonderful. to be the one cast as doll. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Let's take a break for another sponsor. We'll be back with more right after this. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. All right, folks. So, uh, Jeff Kanata, uh, did you have, uh, I think you had something else you've been watching other than the shorts, right? I did. I, I, uh, finally got a chance to, my wife and I sat down to watch Flora and Son after much anticipation. Uh, she, she had kept telling me it was, it was out even though it wasn't. <laughs> she it was like, in theaters. It was in theaters. Uh, then it hit Apple TV plus. So she was fair. right, Jeff. Uh, don't tell don't, your wife. You, she's don't, yeah. don't, she's right enough. I don't need. Yeah, yeah, she, sorry, Jeff. She's always right. Um, <laughs> uh, we were very excited to watch this as I, as I said last week, uh, when, uh, Devinder was talking about it because we're such big fans of once and of sing street. Sing street is is really a special movie for the two of us. And it, its soundtrack is a constant in our house. Our kids know all the, all the words to uh, drive it like you stole it and stuff. So, you know, we, we were very, very excited about Flora and Son. And I have to say, it was a pretty big disappointment. Um, I, yeah, I'm yeah. shocked. I think I'm the shocked. music is wonderful. The songs are wonderful. Um, there's a number of them that are great. Uh, there is one 
that that despite my furious googling, I haven't been able to determine if his original. There's a moment in the movie where mm-hmm. a, a character just watches a screen of another woman playing a song that looks like it was in the 70s. Oh yeah, that, that's uh, I forget the artist, but that 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 was in. Um... It's been referenced in other movies. It's a real too. song. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real song. Yes. archival footage, right? Not cre- created yeah. for the movie. I couldn't figure out. I couldn't find the name of that. That song's exquisite. That's amazing. Anyway, um, here's here's my experience of watching Flora and Son. Uh, the first, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, uh, I was like, uh, where's uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I, where's JGL? I, yeah. I, I was excited about him being in this. I'm so excited. He's on the poster. I'm so excited. Where's Jordan, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Where, where, where? And then he shows up and I was like, oh, no. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. I think every part of this movie that doesn't have Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it is pretty good. I kind of agree. Yes. And every moment that he's in this movie is terrible. <laughs> terrible. Uh, and it's... Shocking to say that because I'm a huge fan of that guy. I think he's a very talented uh, actor. And usually when he's in something, it makes me want to see it. And I, like I said, the first 15 minutes, I was like, where is the? Where is he? I, get in this movie, buddy. Get in this movie. And then, ah, man. it. So I don't know how much we want to reveal, but the movie is about Flora and her son. And I found all of the stuff about Flora and her son to be very compelling, very beautiful, very mm-hmm. uh, offbeat and kind of um, not a typical story, not the kind of people or kind of story that you often have in these kind of heartwarming films about, as Devendra so aptly put last week, uh, the the transformative power of music. Uh, if you one song can change your life, Jeff, imagine yes, that. No, it's true. Wow. Uh, it's true. I, I like the fact that we're sort of with these uh, offbeat kind of... Um, rougher characters than we usually get in movies like this, right? Certainly nobody like this is in, uh, well, I guess Sing Street has some rough and tumble folks, but it's not like this. Anyway, I enjoyed them. I liked them. I liked their uh, tough love. I liked, the, I liked their arc. I liked, I liked their journey. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is this sort of outside, he's a magic pixie fairy boy. <laughs> and with the world's best webcam. He's dude. got the, yeah. dude, Dude, there's a sequence in the movie. Man, Manic Pixie Dream Boy, I think. Manic yeah, Pixie Dream Boy. Yeah, I mean, it's I about think. time after uh, after so many of his movies, you know. So, yeah. yeah, no, I get it, right? Flip the flip the script, but let's maybe just not have that script. How about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the thing that DaVinci was referencing earlier is there's a sequence where Flora is looking on her computer to find uh, guitar lessons, and she goes through a number of YouTube uh, channels which is how you learn things today. Yeah, so no, I, I think that's movie. perfectly yes. perfectly legitimate. And she sees a bunch of people that look like YouTubers and then she sees Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which like you just showed us what YouTubers look like. Why not shoot him like that? At you, least with a, a computer camera. It or is something. insane. Yeah. It, it's so jarring. It's like there's the movie star in the movie shot, not not it's at like, all how a YouTuber looks. Not shot it's like, like a, the other ones are shot with like a webcam, and he's shot yes. with like an Ari Alexa or something like that. Basically. Yeah, lit beautifully, <laughs> like perfect set deck. Like it is, it it, it sh- leaps out as being a movie shot, a composed movie shot, 
even, you know, there are a lot of YouTubers that have great webcams and great backgrounds. None of them look like that. Uh, it's, it, it, I was like, come on, you had to see it. You literally just did a montage. It's just, it's just so weird that it takes you out of the movie. I think it takes you it. out of the movie. And yeah. literally everything he does took me out of the movie. He, he is not a believable human being. He is like <laughs> mugging and being smug and being like, uh, and, and he is a, a, he's a supposed to be a guitar, uh, um, a teacher, like a failed rock star. Yes, but he's a guitar, a guitar teacher, teacher yes. who literally doesn't frame his hands in the shot. <laughs> he's teaching her how to play guitar, but he his, has to focus on his face. Jeff. The shot is framed with <laughs> his hands on out his of face. It. I was like, <laughs> in what universe is that true? And then B, he only ever plays for her. Like worst teacher ever. Let's let's have a session. He's like, hey, uh, here's here's me playing. All right, good job. It's like, no, no, no. I'm the I'm the student. I'm supposed to be playing. It, it's so stupid. It dude, every second he's in this movie, I was like, this. I don't believe that is a human being. He's yeah. so perfect in every way. He's like speaks about uh, music in this sort of poetic. I mean, I just went. Gaga for Wes Anderson and the lyricism of this thing. <laughs> but like in the context of this very grounded naturalistic movie, there's yeah. the, this character that just feels like they are a false construct. It is inside something that is really kind of heartfelt and gritty and human. And here is this cartoon character. Again, not a pejorative cartoon, but here's this like two-dimensional uh I, it, it, it's it, he is a manic fairy princess magic mm -hmm. unicorn thing. It, it is it, manic I, pixie dream boy. Ex manic pixie exactly dream. what I, mean, I unicorn said. Unicorn thing. I think also applies. <laughs> exactly what I said. Like, and it's so <laughs> frustrating <laughs> because he also doesn't need to be in the movie. Like mm. yes, he sort of <laughs> propels her into a, a you know self examination, but like. Who cares? It's so much. Everything that's happening with her is so much more interesting. Yeah. That that wouldn't be the John Carney formula, Jeff. It wouldn't be music plus relationship, music plus yeah. emotion. It, it, you know? it really ruined the movie for me, and it's a bummer because I think the music is great, and I think the performance. Um, what's her? She's uh, she's Bono's daughter. She's Bono's right? daughter. Yeah. What's I can't remember her name. I, I apologize for not having it. My on my. Uh, I think she'll be fine. Yeah, I, I think she's great. I think she's really great, and she has a lovely performance here. And and You're talking about Eve Hewson. Thank yes. you. Yes, uh, and the, the 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 kid, the kid actor who plays her son, I think, is also a perfect disaffected youth, perfect kid who kind of hates his parents' situation, but also, you know, isn't is a bit of an outsider at school. So I want to shout that out. Uh, the song, by the way, Jeff, is Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now. Is that Joni Mitchell? In, Did I Joni not Mitchell. identify yeah. Joni Mitchell? I am the worst. And that was in Love Actually. That exact song like has a pretty major moment in it's Love Actually. It's a beautiful Actually. song. Uh, what I'm the? embarrassed if that was Joni Mitchell and I couldn't recognize her. I don't, I don't know what Joni Mitchell looks like, so sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess I've never really seen her. Uh, I've heard uh, her quite frequently. What mm -hmm. did your uh, wife think about the movie, Jeff? She fell asleep. <laughs> oh man she did but not that's like a, it that's she, like a common occurrence though right yeah well or, or, uh, when she's into a movie she doesn't uh yeah, she, she a, did not care for it. We, we, bad you know, side she yeah, was like yeah. she fell asleep you know ways into it and before that she's like i don't think i like this i wasn't she was not caring for it either <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. got it 
well, I'm sorry that uh, this one didn't hit for you, Jeff. That's a bummer. Um, but it's very, it, it's still like, I think it's watchable. I think it's very cute. And not many people are doing the sort of like music focused thing. Yeah. You know, I still think Carney has. He's got a lane. Perspective. He's, got, He's a got a lane. lane. You know? This is another and, bit of and, his lane. And shockingly few people are playing in it. Yes. You know, so. Oh, there's uh, a, there's a moment I wanted to pull, pull out um, because I kept thinking, oh, oh, yes. I kept thinking, um, man, this really reminds me of, um, of uh, uh, A Star is Born. Uh-huh. And then mm-hmm. he literally has a line in the movie where he slags on Star yeah, is Born. yeah. He like he the the dude has opinions and his movies mm-hmm. he's like rips on you know the, the Joseph Gordon Levitt character has a number of moments where they like bring up songs and he's like oh I would never spit that out of my mouth eh, eh, gross gross that song and it's like get over yourself pal get over yourself yeah. you know it's very uh, it's very much like that person who's a little too hip yeah. I think at times I think it's James Blake who's making fun of yeah him. or James yeah. Blunt yeah. Yeah, blunt. I think it is. Yeah. Anyway, the the songs are great. I have to admit, the songs are, are lovely, and and certainly the soundtrack for this would be a winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's Flora and Son, and it is streaming right now on Apple TV Plus. It is one thing that Jeff Kanata has been watching this week. All right, I will mention another thing I watched. Uh, I watched this movie. I actually had wanted to see it uh, at Sundance this year, so I watched a couple Sundance movies. Same. This week. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't get a, wanting to see this too. Ugh. Yeah, uh, this is on. It's okay. You don't need to be angry. You can easily watch it. Uh, it's on Hulu. Well, now it's I got to listen to what you think before I watch it. Okay, I don't, I don't well, it's, that's, that's a loss. That's a loss for me, <laughs> yeah. Dave. It's Obviously, that is agonizing for Jeff. But <laughs> it's theater camp. Uh, I will give away the premise. So, Jeff, if you want to take off the headphones for a second, but yeah, the the it's a it's a mockumentary uh, that takes place at a theater camp, and essentially what happens is. Uh, Amy Sedaris runs the theater camp and in the opening scene of this movie she has like a seizure and is unable to run the theater camp so uh, the theater camp is essentially then passes down to her child uh, who is played by the same guy who di- who played uh, the guy who is accused of drawing the dicks in American Vandal uh, I think Jimmy Tatro is his name Mm. Is the actor's name? Uh, so kind of this like very broy dude who is not well equipped to run a theater camp. Uh, but the cast of, of the people in the movie who run the theater camp is awesome. Um, there is uh, uh, Molly Gordon uh, is in the cast. Ben Platt, Noah Galvin, uh, Ao Itabiri, and Patty Harrison. They're all kind of h- helping to run the theater camp. Uh, and this movie is a hilarious be a love letter to theater camps <laughs> uh and c uh very moving i, I found it, i was very moved by the end of it and uh I, I had a great time with this movie i think it's hilarious and it kind of lampoons the kinds of kids that would go to theater camp but does so in a very loving way because uh-huh. the people who wrote and acted and directed it are those people you know, they're they're kind of poking fun at this kind, this archetype of person who they also are, and that, that, that's a yeah. bit unfair. I feel like uh, you know somebody who always felt like a bit uh, I don't know a bit removed from the theater people. 
You gotta have that perspective in there too. But okay. <laughs> I mean, trust me. I think if you want to make fun of, I've always found them deeply annoying. Okay. If you, if you want to make fun of theater camp people, you will not leave without any fodder for that. Like I'm yeah. sitting right yeah. here, Devendra. Yeah. Oh, I know, Jeff. Right yeah. here. You put your headphones back on. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it is very, very funny. Like I, I really liked it a lot. You know, it's not gonna like change the world or anything. But if you have ever wanted like a humorous look at uh, the world of theater camp, then you're gonna have a great time with this mm-hmm. movie. Um, so the year of Iowa Debiri continues. Yes, uh, yeah, that's right. she is. That's right. Wow, uh, l- long, she's great in long this may she, she has, reign. She mm-hmm. has some hilarious lines in this movie too. So, Do, does um, this feel like a Christopher Guest movie, not made, made yes, by Christopher Guest? In many yeah. ways, in many ways, it, it looks like it's done up to look like it's shot on film too. Like it, it's. Uh, I don't know if they actually shot on film or if they just use like the film grain effect, but it, it looks like it's shot on film, and and it's uh, supposed to culminate with like you know a big presentation, as many Christopher Guest movies uh, do as well. So yeah, very Christopher Guest inspired, a lot of Christopher Guest um, DNA in there. Like every person is so like wildly different in their mannerisms and also their personality. Um, so yeah, uh, great time with this movie. I would highly recommend it. If you like the subject matter, uh, Jeff Kanata, I'll be really curious to hear what you think of it. Yeah, um, but I'm very anxious is, to watch it. Yeah. And I think it's it's a lean ninety minutes. Love you know? it. It's like love just that. in and out. You're just you watch it. You have a great time. You're done with it. Um, but the movie is Theater Camp, and it is streaming right now on Hulu. Devendra Hardware, you have one last thing to discuss today. Yeah, one thing I'll shout out real quick. So I was in New York for a couple nights, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, and I had a free night. To go back to the Brooklyn Academy of Music, my favorite indie theater, and I decided to take in A Haunting in Venice. And I do not know why I saw this movie, (laughs) because I have not seen any of the other Kenneth Branagh Mm -hmm. uh, Poirot movies. I have very little interest in his take on the character, Um, but you know what? It was kind of the only thing that was there. I wanted to go back to BAM, and also I I heard this one was good. I heard people really liked it. And I checked this out, and I really dug it. This wow. is a really cool and well-made murder mystery that I think, um, you know, it has a great setting. It's basically Poirot uh, has self-retired, put himself in exile in Venice, um, and somehow stumbles upon another murder mystery. I think the mystery itself is really funny um, or is really interesting. Uh, has a great cast, including Michelle Yeoh, Tina Fey, uh, Jamie Dornan. Um, I think it's just really compelling. I think it's a really well-made murder mystery. Also starring a guy who does not want to be doing this anymore. I feel like that tension is kind of funny. He's just like, I, another one. I'm trying, I'm not taking more cases. Like the movie starts with him basically having a security guard, uh, shove people into canals when they try to bring him mysteries. And I think that's all really funny. Um, no, it's just like a good vibe, a good time at the theater. Um, I think this one is worth watching. I have not seen the others. I don't know if they're as interesting, but I'm more interested in checking them out. And I'll probably mm, check out some of the other Poirot movies. Too. Stay away. Oh, they're not good? No, okay. especially the second one. Second one's the terrible. The second one was really rough. And, and I, I think you will you'll probably dig this one, Jeff. Yeah. Like, it's well done. How, how is it possible that you have not watched this, Dave? Uh, especially I, with your wife. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so my wife is a massive Agatha Christie fan. Um, and... Uh, she has she she, she this, this is somebody stars Michelle Yeoh. This is somebody who listens Come to on. Agatha Christie podcasts. Yeah, right? like she she literally <laughs> listens to like and I like that just to, like they go through Agatha Christie's work and then and then uh, yeah uh, and she didn't really have a desire to watch this one for a couple reasons. First of mm-hmm. all, we had let's just say a pretty mixed experience with the first two films. Mm, um, fair and fair. also I don't think was I don't think this one was based off of a specific. 
I think it book is. book called A Haunting in Venice? I'm not, I'm not sure People were referencing that. books or, or a movie. People were referencing an earlier movie? I don't know. Yeah, uh, based... Yeah, anyway, so... Uh, I, I think it's based off of like one of his lesser stories or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was kind of was like a like let's wait for the um. Oh yeah, it's it's loosely based on the 1969 Agatha Christie novel Halloween Party. So mm. there was no like Agatha Christie book haunting in Venice. I don't think. So um, this is not canon. This is the thing, uh... that, the thing that's been holding these movies back is the that terrible Christie writing. <laughs> the thing that's so weird is. Like uh, <laughs> Death on the Nile, you know, one of the, her her, uh, her most iconic works. That movie did not do well at all. Like mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. was not a hit, and so it. But they, they greenlit the third one like right away. They're like, hey, like we gotta get 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 on we'll this plane as quickly as we'll possible. We'll go yeah. shoot at one of the most expensive and hard to <laughs> shoot locations in the world. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yes. Uh, Haunting event is based off Halloween Party. That is still a Poirot mystery, so I don't want to give the mm-hmm, sense that it's like mm-hmm. not the same thing at all. Um, but I think just like changing the title was uh, kind of sacrilegious to my wife. I'm I not think 100% also sure about what that. happened was I yeah. was watching the Stanley Tucci cooking show on the plane there. And uh-huh. I think he was in Venice. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, Venice wow. seems nice. I'll, he, I'll go hang out in Venice for a little bit. He sublimated the suggestion. He sublimated it. That's for... totally what it was. It was a setting. He sublimated. I was like, I'm, I'm here. I see a haunting in Venice. I'm going to go right there. I think this is a well-made murder mystery. Do, so, do you know what haunts yeah. me is the fact that in the second film, Death of the Nile, there's an origin story for Poirot's mustache. That's good. Yeah, oh, we, went, we, we covered it in, in length. Don't you remember? Yes, it was. I, I remember, and I'm reminding people, and it was absolutely ridiculous. I, I don't think I could. I don't think I forgave the movie for that. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, these it, things are supposed to be a little funny, right? Like the I mean, image that, part of the joy. Yeah. The image that sticks in my head from that movie is him literally standing on the pyramid, uh-huh. yeah, oh, having a so, scene. So terrible. Oh man, that sounds that I, actually went viral recently. Somebody posted it online. It's like so bad. If you if you search for it on YouTube, you can find mm-hmm. it like Death on the Nile pyramid scene. <laughs> and it it looks like something it looks something like something worse than I could come up with yeah. in this room. Looks, that clip that it I'm looks recording. like uh Devendra, if you're if your kids watch uh <laughs> like like bad YouTube kids yeah, things yeah, where it's yeah, like, yeah. I'm standing on the pyramids, kids. Yeah. That's what it looked that, like. It's literally that level. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> uh, so. Jeff, I do want to say Tina Fave is in full on, uh, only murders in the building. Oh, I love in it. This, in this I, yeah. So like I, she, she's only appearing in murder mysteries now, apparently too. Kudos for her. I love that. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's a haunting in Venice. It's in theaters right now. And it'll uh, be on video in the events. It'll be on video in theaters forever. It'll be yeah. there half yeah. a minute from now. Yeah. So uh, I will look forward to checking it out in that format. And I've also heard it's solid. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly better than the second film. But that's the that's the hard part is when you make a second film that is bad and no one watched, it's hard to get people to watch the third film. But so. if you're Kenneth Branagh, you could be like, I want to go on vacation to Venice for like four <laughs> months. Can we shoot a movie there, please? Mm-hmm. Wear Indeed. a full carpet on my face and go to Venice. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right. Well, that is what we have been watching this week. Folks, let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly Plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Uh, I had a chance to discuss the season premiere of Gen V, the new spinoff franchise based in the universe of The Boys. Uh, I will probably talk a little bit about that, what we'll be watching next week. But uh, I had Jesse Earl on the podcast, Decoding TV, to talk about that with her. Uh, you may know her as Jesse Gender on YouTube. I, I love uh, her video essays. Um, but yeah, Gen V, uh, I uh, was a huge fan of it. 
actually might like it more than the boys. So yeah, check it out. Uh, that's at Decoding TV, podcast.decodingtv.com. Devinder Hardwar, your weekly plug. Sure, check out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. We talked about uh, Meta's Quest 3 and a whole bunch of the AI uh, announcements they made last week. And uh, I have my hands on the Quest 3. I'm going to have a review up next week, so it should it, be fun. It, is it at least I one... I cannot say anything. Is it at least one-seventh as good as your hands-on with the Vision Pro is my question. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the piece? Because uh, un- un- that's the price, yeah. is a seventh. Because it, co- it costs one-seventh as much uh, as the Vision <laughs> Pro. Dindra, so. They're I may, not competing I'm, each other. I yeah, may okay. have pre-ordered one of these. And I, I think you'll, you, this is made for you, Jeff. Okay, it's okay, made for the, the VR lovers. Yeah. I was the Vision that... Pro is not made for anybody listening to this show right now, unless you are a VR developer. It's made for only yeah. the person co-hosting the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so, Jeff, you're going, you're doing MetaQuest and also Vision Pro. It sounds. Like. I have you... a problem, Dave. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. All right. All right, Jeff Kanata, hit us up with your weekly plug. Well, I do a comedy science show with Anthony Carboni. Uh, it is called We Have Concerns. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. The latest episode to hit the RSS uh, is called Salty, and it's, I thought it was a pretty interesting one. Uh, I think all of them are interesting, but I, I thought this one was particularly uh, interesting because it is all about how we perceive the salt, saltiness of foods in our mouths as mm. human beings. Uh, and it turns out, that salt is unique in flavor. Uh, we, you know, we, there's five different flavors you can uh, sense, uh, salt being one of them. But salt has two different places in the mouth that it uh, senses things. Very interesting. There's a lot of mystery surrounding salt, uh, the, the, the sensation of saltiness. Uh, and we delve into it, all the stuff we know nice. and we don't know. And we also, you know, make jokes. So it's. Did you, did you guys talk about garum, Jeff? Uh, the, like ancient Roman, like it was the mm. seasoning everybody used. It's no. basically like fish sauce, but it was basically for saltiness and umami. And I'm like, I would love to know what that tasted like because yeah, it was I, in everything. I bet we would not care for it though. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe may a little bit like soy sauce, or maybe uh, a little like anchovy paste. You know, we we love this stuff. Mm. It's a, yeah, it's a great taste. Well, it's, yeah. it's amazing how how much mystery is still around uh, the sensation of saltiness and how mm-hmm. it we actually have two different ways we we sense it one is good and one is ah it's too much too much yeah so uh, check it out we have concerns.com all right and of course i want to throw a plug out for this podcast patreon.com slash film podcast where you can support this show and sign up for ad free episodes and exclusive after darks uh this week on the after dark we're going to be discussing the exorcist be sure to tune in for that in preparation for our Exorcist the Believer review. Of course, we never want anyone to support us if it in any way causes them financial hardship. You can always support us for free. Share one of our reels on Instagram, instagram.com slash thefilmcastpod, uh, or leave a review for us, a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It is greatly appreciated. Thanks to everyone who helps to keep this podcast going. Let's get to our review of The Creator. Sergeant Taylor. We are this close to winning the war. But the AI are developing a super weapon. Retrieve it. Or they win. Did you locate the weapon? Yeah, it's just a kid. Are you going to have her? No. You gotta be a good person to go to heaven. So, we're just saying, we can't go to heaven, because you're not good. 
And I'm not a person. Do you have any idea what that thing is? She looks like a little girl now, but she's growing. Whoever has that kid wins the war. Welcome to the film cast review of The Creator. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. Against the backdrop of a war between humans and robots with artificial intelligence, a former soldier finds a secret weapon, a robot in the form of a young child, end quote. I'm David Chen here with Devinder Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Really excited to hear what you guys think about this movie. Uh, obviously, Gareth Edwards, uh, a director who has always had a flair for incredible visuals as he did mm-hmm. with his movie monsters and also rogue one a star wars story um this is a you know original work obviously heavily inspired by um things like lone wolf and cub and and other uh other great works but every ai story yeah. <laughs> every ai story um and it was apparently shot on a sony fx3 which you can buy at your local camera store amazing uh, pretty amazing yeah so all that said, uh, let's just get into it. Devinder Hardware, curious, you know, you you have obviously been into, uh, you know, science fiction, something that's a passion for you and you write for Engadget. What did you think of the creator? You know what, guys? I think Gareth Edwards continues to be one of the most interesting directors we have right now, right? Like I remember when Monsters came out and we reviewed that here. We talked about it and it was amazing what he was able to accomplish uh, for an indie movie. I think mostly producing special effects on his MacBook, right? Like that was the story there. Then Godzilla. I was like, I cannot believe the director of monsters is doing a Godzilla movie. And it was really like visually fascinating and stuff too. Like narratively kind of a mess. Rogue one. I cannot believe the guy who did Godzilla gets to do (laughs) star Wars, the creator. I cannot believe the guy who did Rogue One is now able to like create this uh, quote unquote original sci-fi story, but get it in theaters and deliver something that looks like a $300 million movie at a budget of around $80 million. Like he just continually is fascinating to me in that respect. I love his you, visuals. Yeah. You could, you could add $200 million to the budget of this film. Yes. And it would still cost less than Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yes, uh, or many so, MCU movies. And looks know? so much better. Mm-hmm. And Yes, and uh, I, I think, like, once again, this movie kind of... I, I think this movie is beautiful. I also think it's kind of a mess, and I think I wish, like, he had more writing help with this. I know uh, Chris Weitz is co-credited on the screenplay, but I feel like, the, you know, uh, Gareth Edwards needs better words behind him or better, like, ideas behind him. Because a part of me thinks this movie is a beautiful spectacle. Like he shot mostly on location. They were able to deliver that low budget, low for a big budget sci-fi action movie, but a low budget because they shot the footage and then they were like, okay, the movie's cut. He cuts the movie. Do your special effects now. Then do your work. Not, hey, I don't know. Maybe this character's going to do this thing and uh, let's work on this VFX for months. You know, oh, we cut the scene. I'm sorry. All that work is gone. All that work was wasted, which is what ha- happens a lot with Marvel stuff. Or we want to tweak this one thing. You got to go back and re-render the whole thing. And that's just like bad for the VFX workload. Um, I think this movie is beautiful. And I think it's it's fascinating how it got made. But I really wish, just even watching that trailer, that it didn't fall prey to like, um, or fall victim to like what happens to most of his movies are. I love the way this looks. I wish the story connected better. I wish these characters connected better. I wish the motivations were better because a lot of this movie works. John David Washington is great. I love the the girl who plays the young AI. Um, there's some really interesting ideas here 
too. Like some scenes that I will be thinking about for a while. But at the end of the day, this is so weirdly simplistic. It is <sighs> humanity wages war against AI. And AI is bad to humanity. And AI is to the AI side. They just want to protect themselves from evil humanity. There's no real gray here. There's no real, like, no real interesting ideas when it comes to the nature of AI. And one thing that really bothers bothers me a lot that um, Sadant Adaka wrote about, too, is just the the Orientalism of this movie, too, in the way that it feels like a guy who vacationed in Southeast Asia for very long, you know, for a while and just loved it there. He loved it so much. It is now his identity. It is now every aspect of his work. And I don't think the movie quite earns that. Um, so there's like a lot of stuff to discuss here. I just really wish the ideas were bigger. I wish it connected better. It's also supposed to be sort of a love story and that doesn't quite work for me too. And uh, it's a shame. It feels like, you know, a chat GPT of several other AI and sci-fi movies kind of put together, but it looks really good. So I kind of have to give it credit for that. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on the creator. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on the creator are best summed up in the form of a limerick. All right, let's hear it. Though the visuals aim to be greater, the plot's like a duplicator. Just plug in AI. I can't fathom why someone in this world would create her. <laughs> nice. Okay, I like that. It's kind of subverting what you thought the rhyme might be. Well done. I agree with much of what Devendra said. It is a stunningly beautiful movie. Uh, there are images that I think could stand out as being some of the most uh, freshest and most interesting brought to bear in sci-fi in a while. This notion of this, this like you said, blue beam in ground, not blue beam in sky, <laughs> from blue beam sky from to sky. <laughs> uh, this this sort of scanning yeah. of the ground, yeah. it is so powerful and so haunting the way it is expressed in this movie that alone is like amazing and there are there are jaw-dropping moments that as we've already mentioned would feel epic in a movie three times the budget of this however man this movie's terrible as far as just delivering the bare minimum of a interesting believable credible original tale um and it bums me out because there's so much cool stuff. There's yeah. so much cool stuff. There are cool action sequences. There are cool uh, art direction. There's cool design. There's cool ideas. But there's really no cool idea at the center of the story. And it frustrates me because fundamentally, they, they hand wave away. I'll get, in, we'll get into details and spoilers, yeah. but they hand wave away some very fundamental questions you might have uh, about how this is yeah. supposed to work. The, 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 this universe is built on the notion that there are three stratas of uh, robots, right? There's, <laughs> there's full-on robots. There's synthetics, which is sort of half robot, half human cyborg likes. Mm -hmm. And human then skin. there, yeah. and then there's uh like, like, um, like androids or, or, well, I guess, I guess it would be, I guess the, the, the two stratas of robot and then human beings, right? There's like, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. but yeah. there's no behavioral difference between any of them. Mm -hmm. There is yeah. no difference 
They are, they all act exactly the same. They all act like people. There's people, there's robot people, and there's robots, and they're all the same. And it doesn't, it's such a missed opportunity. It's like, there's no texture to that. Yeah. Why would we, why is there no distinction between them? Why do they not have any different behaviors, abilities, societies, interests? Watching this, this, Jeff, I I was just thinking, um, this is no second renaissance. We did not know how good we had it with the Animatrix. Mm. Because just yeah. the prequel of the Matrix has more yeah. ideas than what's going on in this movie. Yeah. The Second and, Renaissance is a, yeah. one of the short films in the Animatrix. Two. Which is, yeah. Part one and two. two part yeah. one and two, yeah. Anyways, go ahead. And Jeff. fundamentally, this is in the trailer we just played before this review, so this is not a spoiler. Fundamentally, the idea it here is the most important thing in the universe is tucked inside this child robot, which does not make sense. I don't, they are two distinct things that the creator has done. They have created a child robot and they have also created this very important thing that is inside the child robot. They They are distinct. There's no reason why one has to be the other. And well, the child makes... robot is the thing. But what? I don't know. It, 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 like well, I, I, I well, always well, read it as sort of being like the thing, but we will talk more. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about in spoilers, Jeff. Okay. Uh, all I'm yeah. saying is, yeah. I can't. It, it feels to me very manipulative. Of uh, like literally, it is just because that's what happens in movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What happens is movies is you protect the innocent child, and so the metaphor has to become manifest of it actually being an innocent child. But con- contextually, there is no reason for it to be a child. Yeah. And it's I like also a bit want of a to cheat. point out to you guys, yeah. this movie is Avatar. Yeah. It is exactly Avatar. It is Avatar meets Children of Men. It is, I mean, it is literally Avatar with a child. I mean, I, I would argue yeah. Avatar is also every movie, Jeff. But you know, where, where does it? Where does one begin? Where does one end and one begin? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating to me because there's so much potential. There's so much splendor yeah. on the screen that is wasted in service of a very trite, very pat, very uninteresting plot. Characters, I don't, I don't understand the motivations for. There's some cool. People doing some cool work in here mm-hmm. for what? And, and it's just a bummer. Do you guys remember the golden child? Sure. Eddie this Murphy. This is the golden child. Yeah. This is so many movies we have seen already, which is the weird thing. But yeah. there's no, there's no contextual reason why it should even have been a child yes. in this movie. Yes. Like give me a, an actual reason as to why it's a child. There's I, no reason. Mm. There are things and ideas I can bring up in spoilers, and we'll, we will put a pin in it and come back to this. One thing I want to say, too, is that I don't think anybody else gets scale the way Gareth Edwards does. Like, I do think as a visual effects artist, like, he is somebody who has thought about this for a while and how to present it visually and having objects next to other objects to denote perspective and size. And once again, that, you know, manages to be a really welcome thing here, too. So I really wish more people just get that. You know, get some get some scale in your sci-fi because it really does help. Cameron gets it, of course. I feel like there's a lot of truth in what you guys have said. Um, I, I agree with a lot of the issues that you've pointed out. And yet, 
I also had a great time with this movie. And yeah, wow. I remember you posting a negative review of this movie. I thought no, you okay. would hate okay. this so okay. much, Dave. Yeah. No, I, uh, and there's many reasons why I would hate it. And we'll talk about those more in spoilers, but um, I, I had a great time with this. I, I feel like if I saw this movie as a kid, yes. uh, th- this is a movie I would think about for the rest of my life. It, it's, it's, like, it's written for a teenager. Basically, yeah, yeah, but, but it's kind of like AI. Those... <laughs> we have to stop the AI. You're right. Well, I think I mean, the lesson of the movie is not yeah. that, though. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but the lesson of the movie is not that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's like it, it kind of is like oh, when I was a kid, I remember watching movies like Blade Runner or Alien, and it's like these movies feel like they give you a window into what an alternate future would be, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's how fully fleshed out the world in the creator feels. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are some problems, like. I agree with you, Jeff. They, they, it would have been nice to distinguish a little bit more between the machines and the humans. Like, why are they, they there's almost no differences except for one important one that we'll discuss in spoilers. But, like, um, but then there's like also, there's machines that look like people. Yeah. And then, and there's, then there's the machines that don't look like anything like people and they yeah. all behave exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's fine. It's like how in Bojack Horseman, there's like, Anim- there's animals that can talk to you, but there's also animals that are just the ones you eat. Yeah. You know, but at least they behave differently. <laughs> yeah. They comment on it. Yeah. There are differences. Com- yeah. Uh, I, I, I think all the stuff that you guys liked about this movie, the visuals, the action, and I got to say, the chemistry between John David Washington and the kid, uh, that all really worked for me. And that she's was enough. great. Yeah. She is great. She's, she's is like a-, a Haley Joel Osment in sign or in, uh, um, Sixth Sense level mm-hmm. like kid yeah. performance. I think. Madeline Yuna Voiles is yeah. or Voiles. She's, yeah. she's a anyway. find. Like yes. they, I was this very is impressed a, with her. Her first movie that she's ever been in. You know, it's like this is incredible that she's anchoring this movie. Uh, oh, so all that stuff really worked for me. This is one of those movies where every five to ten minutes, I was like looking around and being like, I can't believe I'm seeing this on mm-hmm. the screen. Um, right from the opening shot, which is actually in the trailer, with like these special forces people coming out of the water and like nomad this beam of light shining down from the sky i'm like what am i even seeing this is incredible you know beam go down so, beam go down <laughs> wow <this time. laughs> beam go down this time up is down left is right dogs <laughs> yeah. and cats so and I, I compare it to a movie like blade runner 2 honestly which is like that is a movie that has inspired generations of filmmakers yeah I, i'm gonna say I don't actually think Blade Runner is that good of a movie. Like structurally, mm-hmm. I don't think it's that that good of a movie. Like the mm-hmm. it has it introduces really interesting ideas. The casting is amazing. The production design is you know like there's a lot of amazing. There's a there's a reason it's so revered. But yeah. also um, nobody was making science fiction movies like that at that time. That's true. And and this one does feel a little bit more derivative, you know, as a result of that. But uh, I had a great time with this movie, and uh, and and I, I agree with you guys. I it has virtually nothing to say about AI, which is a real missed opportunity. But well, I do, it, Yeah, go, go. I, I do think it has some things to say about things that aren't AI, but uh, but yeah, it's theoretically about AI and it doesn't have anything to say about AI. And that's a huge bummer. It's, it's um, not just that, like, and we'll talk more about this in spoilers, but like, it's just the basic setting of it. Like John David Washington starts, starts as somebody who should feel a certain way about AI. And there's no reason he, he doesn't, right? There's no... <laughs> thought to his character as somebody who was in a position for several years, like uh, just the background work of like, why is this person doing this? Why do they think this way? What, what is the texture of this world? I think this movie misses out on a lot. It's a shame. 
Also, right. Alice and Danny's in this movie. Can you believe it? As a bad Oh, my God. Al- Alice and Danny, oh like, ch- channeling, like, uh, Linda Colonel Quaritch, or Colonel Quaritch in, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. in Avatar, you know? Well, channeling what's-her-face so. who was in Avatar 2. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Mama Soprano. Right. Yeah. Uh, Edie Falco. Edie Falco. Edie Falco. Oh, Edie like, Falco, it's, yeah. like, you know, older ladies being tough on screen. Sure. Let's make room for that. I'd love to see it. All right. Let's get to spoilers, because there's a lot more to discuss. So, yes. spoilers for the creator starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth. Inconceivable. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right. There's a lot of problems with the movie. <laughs> Right, and oh, and and we do. I do want to discuss them. I, I mean, this the biggest, movie that Dave loves. The, this movie that I really enjoyed. I mean, I really enjoyed it too. It's just I cannot escape these problems. The, the, the biggest, the you know, one of the biggest things again that Sadatha Dlaka brought up in his review is like, and, and that many people brought up in their review is like, this movie uses Vietnam War imagery, but I don't think does it in a particularly thoughtful way. Like yeah. a, a ton of Asian people got killed in this movie, and it's like. Uh, to, to its credit, the movie places you on the side of the oppressed. Like it is, it very much wants you to sympathize with the oppressed and like be horrified at the actions of the U S military. Right. Um, but yeah, the fact that it like compresses, you know, Asia entire into, just, the entire yeah. into new Asia, like there's no yeah. distinguishing. And then, and that is like exacerbated by what you guys have already brought up of, the fact that like, uh, oh, we, j- we just have like, the robots are just dressed like what you would conventionally think of as Asian people. Yeah. You know, there's no they, like- They don't have a culture Yeah, there's no like culture, own. right. There's, it, it, it just basically borrows from like Asian cultures, essentially mm-hmm. to like, uh, to Isn't tell the that, story. And, to me, I'm very allergic to this. It's sort of like adopting Asian ideals. And it's like, isn't that profound? What does it mean that the robot is wearing Buddhist robes? What does it mean? It's like the equivalent of like the guy it. who gets like the Asian tattoo of a yes, character that he doesn't yes. like fully know what it means. You know? I mean, like, this movie has chapter points which are written in other languages. I believe like <laughs> it, it it was Japanese at some point. It the, the first thing you see on the screen is Nirmata, the definition, <laughs> which is a Hindi word, the definition of the creator. Yeah. So on the, on yeah. the one, okay, so it, it's not the worst I have seen of this because sure. it, it does like other other Asian culture, you know, like, like othering, it's it's very othering of Asian cultures, but it does place you on their side. And there's been many movies that don't place you on their side. And so it's sure. like, okay, sure. so we, we have some slight progress in that regard. But yeah, that, that was a huge bummer. Um, I, you know, I, I said like the movie has nothing to say about AI. And I think Jeff, you, you put it well, like, yeah, there's, there's nothing to distinguish these AI from humans, but, but, but it's kind of, it nods to this whole idea in like Terminator 2 of like, who are the real machines, Jeff? Who are who are the real killing machines, right? Because yeah. it's like it, it, what 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 it, the the vision of AI that it promotes is this idea of like AI as compassionate, as egalitarian, um, and just, just protecting themselves, uh, protecting all. themselves, and the humankind yeah. is inherently, or at least Americans are inherently not that, right? And like so, that is an an idea that is put forth by the movie yeah go ahead ahead. there there are a couple of moments where our main character destroys an ai a robot and says it it doesn't feel pain it it, that's just programming yeah Yeah. and the, the movie does not investigate that notion 
whatsoever. That is a fascinating notion. Yeah. Is this robot play acting to elicit a response in the human beings? Is it pretending to be in pain and agony, even though it can't possibly be, just to manipulate the feelings of the, the human beings? That would be a really interesting thing to mm -hmm. pursue. Unfortunately, the movie is just doing that to me, the audience. It's just yeah. manipulating my feelings yeah. And I don't know if it actually feels anything. It doesn't seem to have a soul. <laughs> it mm. only does the thing. Oh, like, look at the, the little girl. She's, isn't she precious? Yes, she is, of course. But isn't she vulnerable? Yes, she is, of course. Don't you feel something? Yes. Well, all the important weapon, the, the way to stop all weapons is inside that child. Why? Uh, that doesn't make any damn sense. I mean, it's, and it's, I just feel manipulated by it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's manipulated. It is using archetypes in ways that are too obvious and aren't smoothed over in a way like I think a normal movie would. Like Avatar works in archetypes. And I think the first movie, I think, is legitimately criticized for like lifting a lot from dances uh, with wolves and a lot of like similar stories like that. But then it does more with it. And I think the sequel does more. Um, yeah. To what you're saying, Jeff, like I do think. This the is movie, exactly that, by the way. Dude is embedded with yeah, the yeah, native people yeah, and yeah, falls yeah. in love with one. Like the same except, movie. Except the the problem is uh, there's no there's no nuance to it, right? Even the first Avatar has like we see him going in sort of like a bigot against his culture, and then sort of like having the turning point, and then then we see the bad sides of human of humanity too. But we see good humans. And we see, you know, we see more texture. There's more gray there. I don't understand how this movie starts with John David Washington's character uh, being embedded for who knows how long because he married somebody in the rebel forces, um, but is still an AI bigot. Like he's surrounded by these people. He sees what the American government, who he is working for, he sees what is happening. He sees the inhumanity, but he is still in full on bigot mode. Like to, to me, if you were actually writing this character, this character would be Jake Sully, like in the third act of Avatar, mm, when he is yeah. ready to go against humanity, because like I've sat here and watched how you treat these things and these things. I don't I don't know what's a soul or not, but I do know these things think they're like alive. Mm -hmm. And well, the there's movie doesn't um, care to investigate that, whether they think they're yeah. alive or not. He like it, it doesn't. It doesn't. There, but there, it, it, yeah, it, there is a great scene at the beginning where uh, mm -hmm. they're going into yes. Los Angeles and the, the, one of the robots comes to life and then the woman starts freaking out and he says it's just programming. And I was like, wow, what a well, the, the, the robot what? comes to life. And is like my wife, my wife, where's yeah. my family? Where's my family? <laughs> yeah. And it's like it was so. It is the movie isn't really commenting on it, but I think it is done in a way to be like, oh, yeah, the humans are being fucked up right here. Like, clearly, yeah, this yeah. thing has some awareness of consciousness or I, something. I was, yeah, I was so intrigued by that scene because yes. I was like, oh, wow, yeah. what an interesting idea. And also, by the way, we live in an age today, yes, where there are humans that think that, uh, chat programs are alive right like, literally that's happening right and so it's like oh wow what an interesting area of exploration movie doesn't do anything with it like anything it doesn't, with it. It doesn't go right. doesn't that would be in any meaningful degree right? that would yeah. be so fascinating to really really dig yeah. into this this thing of like the the thing that's happening as you said yeah. where the, it's parroting back these things that we are programmed as humans to interpret as indicators of intelligence and emotion that, that's a really cool and it literally just like uses yeah. it to right it's it's window dressing it's basically like completely. background contracts now let me ask you guys mm -hmm. this question put it let's put all this aside like we we have expectations for the movie the movie doesn't meet them i completely agree with that but uh the fundamental like journey that these two characters go on 
that did work for me because of the chemistry between the two characters. They're both great actors. Um, I, I'm curious, did that like, did the movie emotionally work for you on any level uh, when it came to those two characters, specifically uh, John David Washington's character and um, uh, Madeline and, uh, Alfie, yeah. Alfie, Alfie, Joshua and Alfie. Alfie. Yeah, I think all the charisma came from Alfie. Is the thing. It's it's kind of weird. Like I like John David Washington, but I also feel like he feels more robotic in this movie than the actual thing. You know, actors playing robots, which is kind of weird. Um, you, how can you not love Alfie? Alfie is adorable. Al, yes, protect Alfie at all costs. That is the most basic thing you can convey in the story. But what what does it actually mean? You know, and why? It would be nice to see more of his turn away from the anti-AI bigotry. Like it slowly emerges like towards the end of the movie. He wants to protect her, but that's just because she's cute. It's not because he believes in the fundamental rights of AI or their personhood or their freedom or anything. So we don't really get that texture in there. Um, Alfie's great. Then they do the thing where it's like, oh, Alfie is also, uh, you know, created from cloned cells from your dead child. So you have to love Alfie. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't need dude, that. There's that, a lot of those contrivances at the end. Like, what? Why is there a replica mm-hmm. of Gemma Chan's robot? Like, that's not even explained, as far as I can recall. You, the idea um, that you we would need to sell our likenesses because AI can't just come up with infinite number of variations. Well, you donate of a, your likeness, Jeff. You donate it out of the goodness of your human. But it doesn't heart. make any. That doesn't fundamentally yeah. make any sense. Like, why would yeah. we really need you to? Do, we can't figure out how to make people that look like people without you <laughs> donating your likeness. A lot mm-hmm. of things don't make sense. And also, why would you yeah. make 400 copies of one person's life? It just doesn't right, make any right. sense. Right, why, why would you make humanoids at all? Like, is is are humanoids uh, the most efficient way of traveling? You know, like... That, yeah. That's yeah. The, my answer to your question, Dave, mm-hmm. is, is that yeah. I was just constantly... I mean, there's no acknowledgement on uh, Joshua's part that, like, hey, isn't it isn't it weird that I lost a child and, and now I'm, I have to protect a child? That just feels... It's about the same age as my child would, would be have been. At this time. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. But also we learned that she <laughs> she made the child before she got pregnant with the child, which is even creepier. She pulled it from the em- like it's super it was clone clone cells. But also but, when but what first is of that? all Dude, what does that even mean? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What does we, it mean? What do, what does it mean to <laughs> I think the exact sentence I had in my head for so long because I wanted to bring it up to you guys. The exact <laughs> sentence is like it was, it was a, uh, it was a, uh, a robot made from the, like, like it's it's the most generalized robot made from his data. It's like basically. yeah, from 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 your like spirit, you know. It's like what does that even mean? Uh, what part it, of it? And it has your spirit and no, your I think DNA. it's DNA. It's DNA. It, it, it like, has your what, DNA. Really what, what, and your per- so you know, yeah. Is the are the the fleshy parts? Organic? We don't know. This right. is never told to us. Yeah, There's yeah. even a, a scene, a scene that is so infuriated me where a man looks at Alfie for the smallest moment and goes, it, it can grow. It's like, well, how, what? How did you... <laughs> How did you determine That's, that it could grow? And how does that work? Well, he's what? an AI. He's an AI <laughs> master, Jeff. He looked at the little sphere but in like, her head. It is yeah. metal. There is metal. metal. Does the metal Listen, change? Does you look at a computer chip, Jeff? People lose their teeth. Metal. People lose yeah. their teeth because they're too small. You know, like yeah, so yeah. Metal, it grows new metal. It, it, maybe it acquires no, new metal. No, to you accommodate. don't get to just hand wit. You don't just get to be like, yeah, <laughs> it grows. It's gonna grow and get more. He's like, it's not even as powerful as it will be. It will be more powerful. How do you know 
that? Did you look at an iPhone and go, this thing will do m many more things than it can do uh, right Jeff, now? Jeff, uh, to, to, that guy was at least positioned as sort of like an, a, somebody yes. who understands the tech. I think if you put, you put somebody who actually understands chip dynamics and stuff, like you take an iPhone cover off, I could point to a lot of what those chips do. If something is there that shouldn't be there, I'd be like, that's interesting. Or other people who are more well versed, people can tell these things. To me, that's not the problem. It's like the the fundamental thing. How did Gemma Chan's character, while married to an undercover officer, <laughs> manage to lead a rebel force and also create the world's most powerful AI child? When did she have time yeah. to do this? How bad of an undercover police How officer? How bad of a husband is he? Is he? Yeah. Bad a husband. Yeah. Bad like your job is to investigate. Like yeah, your job is to look fail. for look for specifically her. Yes, and you're married to her. You're a terrible at your job. He's like, I gotta get my full eight hours. I can't. I can't get up. I I've been looking everywhere for the woman that's in my house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh God, what was the other thing I was gonna say? Oh, dang it. Go ahead. Okay, I, I don't know, Jeff. I mean. You know, the, the, somebody asked a question a while ago. Like, do the do the robots in Westworld shit? Like, do they do they take a crap? And it's like, yeah, you could go in loops on like. No, how I'm realistic not going in loops. I'm I'm interrogating <laughs> a literally a line in the movie. Sure. It will grow. How does it grow? Tell us how it will grow. What does that even mean? That doesn't. That has no. It doesn't. It makes no sense based on the information you are giving us. I'm not I, I, inventing I, things that are not contextual, like pooping. Like, there's no point at Westwood where they're like, man, that robot really poops. And then you're like, well, now I'm forced to consider it. What happens in this movie is I'm forced to consider the growth of this okay. child, this robot. Okay. Spo <laughs> look, okay, spoilers for Blade Runner 2049. Mm -hmm. Okay, spoilers for Blade Runner 2049. Here come the spoilers. Giving you a second if you don't want spoilers for Blade Runner 2049. Same exact plot point, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Same exact plot point. Except it's. I, it's I didn't it's, care for that movie. Either. <laughs> okay, you know that. Well, but, no. but, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it's it, more it, centered. It's it's literally the beginning of Blade. It is the central mystery of why does this thing exist? Like, oh, it's not just that we were wondering if am I a replicant or not, but can a replicant create life? Right. Can a replicant? That that, that's the central that mystery. Is and it's like, and it's yeah. like, and they kind of hand wave that away too. Like, how does that work? Mm -hmm. They don't explain any of that. You know, like, it's just like. They hand wave everything away. Yeah. All the they interesting hand wave bits. Everything. They yeah. hand wave away. And there's, there's a scene where. Uh, I guess what I was saying is I was fine with it in Blade Runner 2049. I'm fine with it here too, but there, I understand, I understand if you're not. Yeah, there is okay. a scene where Ken Watanabe, it, someone casually walks up to Ken Watanabe and flips a very accessible switch that shuts him off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, you are a fully autonomous robot in a war. You are in a war against the beings that want to shut you off. Maybe you put a cover on that. I don't know. Maybe you maybe maybe the off lock. switch yeah. on your neck a, a little like, bit. Like like th this is why I keep coming back to Blade Runner because like Blade Runner also has a bunch of shit that doesn't make any sense. Like, but there's a difference. Well, hold on, hold on. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna design replicants and and have them completely indistinguishable from humans. <laughs> like you could easily put some kind of mark on them or what make it so that they sure, easily sure. tell them apart or not even make them. Why look like even make at it? All. Yes, yes. Right, like, and it's like. That doesn't make any sense, but it's like I'm not. They, they wanted to fuck the replicants. I'm not here to look like humans. They wanted to fuck them. They have the to answer. look like humans. The that's why. That's, no, that's why that's, all technology exists. Right. But anyway, let me just but, say, yes. I'm not here to defend Blade Runner. I'm here to attack the creator. <laughs> and I guess I'm saying, like many 
movies considered sci-fi classics mm-hmm. also have these massive I, I th- like I think this is a false equivalence. This is a false equivalence because I've, yeah. I've made it my is case. done more artfully in Blade Runner is the thing. Like Blade Disagree. Runner is a Disagree. deceptively simple movie. It's not about, oh my God, we gotta stop this war or you know, humanity's gonna kill all the aliens. It's not it's a guy trying to figure out like what oh, somebody was murdered, what's what's happening. It's like one detective doing one thing and you can build the world around him and you could be slow. And you can be deliberate and you can ask questions. But if the premise of your movie is I got to go on this fetch quest to stop the war that's destroying, you know, all of AI civilization, you don't have time for that. So I do think a being a smaller scale movie, Blade Runner makes that work. Fair, Looking at the enough. second Renaissance, which are just two short films, you were just like jam packed with information like humans made AI, AI are slaves, AI revolted, AI made their own their own nation, AI have their own culture, they built their own thing. Oh, they ended up being better at capitalism than humans. Humans didn't like that. Humans fought back. Humans destroyed their own world. Like it's all there and all interesting. Whereas in this movie, it's a throwaway line. Like, did you know? Like, it was actually humans. The drop the bomb in LA. What does that mean? I actually really, what? I really liked all that stuff. That's I cool, thought, but what does that mean? It, we don't engage with that, that at all. Beyond that, that is, sentence, that is totally something the United States would actually do. Sure, it, is what? So what? What comes out is essentially that okay, okay. The reason the war began is a nuclear weapon was detonated in Los Angeles, and the idea is that. AI detonated the nuclear yeah. weapon. Millions right? of people die. Millions of people die. And so like, okay, we got to start killing AI right away. And I think it's Ken Watanabe's character that reveals, actually, the AI didn't do that. That's not right. It was... It, it was, was the a, AI. It was still the AI, but it was because of a glitch in their programming that was caught. No, it was a glitch in the human. That was not programming. my interpretation. It, it was, was, it was a human. Humans. It was a human yeah. error. Was my it was a human error. Human yeah. error in how they created the AI. That I don't was, think it was the AI. That, okay, well, I think it's yeah. an important distinction, but I, I my it's my, an important distinction. But you're right that like the movie doesn't make it super clear. So I'll give you. guys I mean, that. Um, <laughs> humans are the creators of AI, so if it's a human code that yes. called the AI to do something, it is. I but would my, call that more human. My, my, no, no, my, no, no, okay, it, whatever the case yeah, is, I'm not arguing called, that it wasn't human error, yeah. but it was human error that caused the AI to do the bad thing. Okay, what? Sure, uh, sure. Either way, humans were culpable. Can we humans agree on were that? Culpable? Yes, yes, humans yes, are yes, actually yes. fully and, culpable, and, and, and this movie doesn't engage with that at all. Well, that I think it does engage with it um, because that's totally something the U.S. would do: accidentally yeah. detonate a nuclear bomb and then blame someone else for it. That's like, not enough. That's not in the movie. Like, yes, that is something I think the U.S. It is would do. I think it what, is in the movie. What, it, what does the movie do with it beyond that, Dave? That it, is my question. It, it, uh, launch an unwinnable war. Uh, launch a no, land what, war in how Asia, do the characters which is what we all know do. How do the characters <laughs> reckon with the fact that, hey, I just learned this interesting tidbit, that the it was actually humans' fault. Maybe we should publicize this information. Maybe we could use that to help stop the AI Well, war. the thing Maybe that we they should do, do something. the thing that they do is destroy Nomad. That's the, what that, is, it? that okay. is the response. Yeah, the response. You, you throw a giant spaceship onto Earth. Like, I wonder how many people are dying because of Nomad falling onto Earth's surface, by the way. <laughs> like, all this footage we see is like, oh, man, it's falling in the desert. Good luck. That was, we were so yeah, lucky. Yeah, okay, okay. At the, the end, more... at the end of Independence Day, where you're like, oh, the alien spaceship's falling. How many people are dying? I think, I think yeah, the more so. important <laughs> thing, honestly, is like, what part are all the parts of Ken Watanabe made in a lab? Like, mm-hmm. if you have a... Is... The movie is unclear about its sort of central notions. And Mm -hmm. I'm fine with hand waving away certain things that are ancillary to our understanding. Like, yes, I don't care the details of the force. 
it's a force. It's it, mm-hmm. it's magic. It's a okay, simple cool, concept you fine. build on. Yes. yes. Yeah. But <clears throat> when it's central to the sort of the central theme of the movie, which is, hey, they are othering us. We are, we just want to have respect. We just want to be autonomous. And and now there is this creature, this new thing that has arrived, that has been created, that will grow somehow. How does it grow? Is it because it's partly organic? Does Ken Watanabe's face and hands and arm organic? Or is it plastic? There's no scene like in Terminator mm-hmm, where we're peeling mm-hmm. back skin. We don't. Well, you know. see them place the skin on an exoskeleton at the beginning, or on. But we don't know. But we don't know if it's fundamentally yes. like what is going mm-hmm. on with that stuff. Like, how you're right. does she you're, grow? You're right. Is she, it, w- w- the 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 plot the thing to fix is just be like, hey, we made this thing. It's human. It's a human slash AI. It's a hybrid. But why and does that, that at least like set that up as like mm-hmm. why it's interesting and why she's so special? You know, but what are the, the, the movies p- putting aside the details like the movie's lack of explication inhibited your ability to fully enjoy it. Right. Because you felt like those plot details were central to your enjoyment of the film. Right. Like yes. the movie because sets up these mysteries. Yeah. It's asking yeah. me to sympathize for those reasons when those reasons are vague. And I. I wanted to like I I'm rooting for the AI and it, you know counter to how we feel right now in the real world right this movie is like hey maybe the AI isn't bad maybe it's a new species that we have to respect and honor as its own autonomous yeah. thing and it's like okay well n- now I need to understand how that could be because that's in direct opposition with what the real world is now so I need a little more understanding mm-hmm. especially when AI in this movie doesn't behave like AI does. It behaves like people. It's just people. There's no like people. Yeah. There's no group mind think. There's no the things that sort of make AI greater than people in our understanding and our science fiction understanding, Mm -hmm. but even in our real world understanding, just isn't present here. They're literally just bespoke human Mm -hmm. beings that have twirly bits on their neck it, it's it, just it's just copies of humanity and copies of human culture i think of uh her and the way ai transcendence is made and shown in that movie i think of ex machina and the sort of like questions it's asking about those ai creations like it's they, none of them like seem something. smarter than people yeah none of them yeah. none, none of them there's no like there's amazing moments in this movie but like what Can am i talking about some of those watching? moments can we talk about it? Because we're probably running out of time, but there are a couple of things I think are really interesting and I wish the movie had more of it. Suicide robots. That was pretty rad. That the sequence suicide was very bomber powerful. robots. I think yeah. are really fascinating because like that whole scene is set up. Uh, you see uh, Alison Janney, you see CJ from the West wing, um, you know, activate these robot things. It says it was a pleasure serving you runs out to die. That's fascinating. And I wish we had seen more of that. And then we see another one like it, but that, sort of setting up a situation like that in a scenario like that, it's like, Oh, that's interesting. That's how it, we could use weapons in different ways. Yeah. Honestly, it reminded me of uh, this episode of Rick and Morty. Yes. Where uh, there's a the robot, butter robot. That, the butter robot. It passes yeah. Rick this yeah. uh, butter. And it's like, you know, what was my purpose is like, you were designed to pass butter. And it's like, and then the robot gets really depressed. It's like, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. You yeah. know, I'm like, well, how does the robot who's designed to, blow himself up feel um but then again i hate to beat this dead horse but like you see in that scene ken watanabe and the other hyper intelligent ais like just shoot it futilely shooting at it it's like wouldn't a robot perhaps 
anticipate this happening or deal with it in some novel, interesting, like it's, it's so weird that we're having these robots just behave like people. I I mean, yes, I I get it, Jeff. Yes. I understand. The other, the other thing is the the tech of uh, copying a dead person's memories into oh. a simulant. That's cool. Amazing. That Introduced cool. like not really, not really Amazing. built up as like. We need a whole okay, movie about dead. that. How though. dead? Is, how dead are they? Okay, I'm gonna copy here. Give me a sim body. Do this. Boom, bam. That's cool. More of that. And I, I think will, like there uh, are good ideas. I the first the like movie, forty. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, just real quick, I will give the movie huge credit for not flashing back at the end to him saying. I would do anything for one more minute with sure, her. Because sure. I thought that was coming 100%. I was like, here comes the moment where we flash back to hearing that line and he finally gets what he wanted. I give the movie tons of credit for yeah. not- Visual mm-hmm, storytelling. Doing that. That's all mm-hmm. we needed at the end, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. Uh, sorry. First of all, I, I I think the first 45 minutes of this movie is just like was an incredible experience. Like the, the whole like- uh, alternate history of the United States, like where, Oh, robots mm-hmm. became a part of our like, daily lives and all that, you know, like that was really well done. And then the bomb exploding and then explaining why we're at war. Um, you know, the whole firefight on the beach and like John David Washington, then being introduced like every few minutes, there was something so cool. The idea of, a they show like a holographic projection of a security camera, basically mm-hmm. to try to convince Joshua to do the mission. And it's just like the way that is visualized. I was like, that's incredible. That's it's not like perfect 3D like you'd see, but it's like that's a believable cool. 3D recreate recreation of what the data they made with the capture. You know, like um the idea of like uh reanimating a robot with someone else's memories, and like they're like, oh, he's been dead for like an hour. We're only gonna get him for like 30 seconds, you know, like and then I was just like, oh my god. Like, and then the person wakes up and is like, my wife, my wife again, yeah. tell my wife, my wife something. No, 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 no. Shut up, shut up, idiot. Shut yeah, up. I just like, to ask you this like, question. Alice and Jenny's like, look, I don't we don't have time to talk about my wife. You're already dead, okay? Like, and it's just <laughs> so like oh, it's up. incredible. It's incredible. I was just like, yeah. this is amazing. And that's yeah. and, cool. And that's the thing. This I think the movie is better at introducing ideas, introducing questions than it is at addressing them or thinking about them in any meaningful way, mm-hmm. right? Like, sure. And that's, there's still a function for movies like that. And I think there's still something really interesting about movies like that. Um, the, the ending, I'm guessing, you know, I already asked you guys like, did, did, did X work for you? Did Y work for you? But I'm guessing the ending did work I, for I, you I either. I do like how everything kind of accelerated in at basically at the very end. It was like, okay, I'm going to go. And Joshua breaks him out and they go to the freaking spaceship. You know, like that, that was amazing. Escalation, I think is really cool. Like everything that happens there yeah. is very cool. And then like, the kid uh, trying to revive uh, its dead mother is like, that was heartbreaking. Like bringing it, bringing the body out and just giving up on that. Like all that stuff is good stuff. I just wish there was more engagement of a lot of these things. I, I, I The simple thing, the thing I couldn't let go of is like, oh yeah, you, you guys aren't really, okay, you blew up this thing. I hope at some point somebody gets that information out there about humanity blowing up <laughs> LA. Like I, I hope that is the discerning thing we need to understand. Otherwise it's just going to be larger scale war against AI, right? What does it mean that you destroy the spaceship? The war is going to get worse for the AI unless like there is some actual resistance here. The yeah. amount of plot contrivances reached hyper speed in the last <laughs> yeah. like 20 yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's sure. all this ridiculous, just ridiculous stuff happening. So um, yeah, they get to the ship and then like you see the flight attendant be like, Oh, hey, sorry about the interruption. We're on the ship now. It's like, what happened? How did that person process that information? And then, um, oh, there's a there's actually a robot recreation of Gemma Chan. And by the way, we're firing these missiles all over. The, and it's like, 
so you can fire missiles all around the world. Why does no man need to actually be over the thing? You know, like it's just, mm-hmm. there's all these questions of like that aren't being answered at all. And then jo- uh, John David Washington's character, Joshua places what seems to be a single explosive. <laughs> a single on, explosive. Uh, yeah. And like, it's is really able to blow up the entire, though. it's like really good what? placement. Yeah, really good play. You know, the, the, I did the, like the, the sequence where he's outside on yeah, all those yeah, moving. Was really it was amazing. Really that cool. Was rad. Really cool stuff. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then there was a, and, and this is the thing, like right into the end, there's like activate the remote drone or whatever. And it's just like freaking tentacled machine that like, it's in the movie for like 10 seconds. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah. They had, and that's the thing. This movie's like dropping these amazing yeah. ideas. It's cool. Every like cool 10 things. seconds, you know? Yeah. And I like so, that part where that, that tank is attacking. And the robot's like, I'm going to blow. And then the robot gets hit by the missile. And the monkey comes and the monkey pushes the button. Um, the second you, time, monkey. by the way, that an animal saved their asses in this movie. So, <laughs> the monkey. Uh, anyway. Why? <laughs> like, what? Don't ask questions, Jeff. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry the movie didn't work for you. And look, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty clear-eyed. Like, I think the movie has a lot of issues. Uh, but it's also a movie that I had a great time with and... Uh, and think that like there's enough interesting and original about it, or at least if not original, then really interestingly done derivative mm-hmm. stuff uh, that uh, I still recommend it. So anyway, I'm glad you liked it. I I have a hard time recommending it. I do think there are really cool sequences, and the visually, it's it's awesome. Um, I mean. It- yeah, and, and it's worth w- seeing in theaters. I want so to applaud that. these kinds of not based on previous IP, really grand, cool movies. I just have a hard time recommending yeah, this I, one. Everyone kind of feels that way. I did mm-hmm. I want to mention one last thing. I received two very strange emails about the creator that were both about the Screen X experience. Oh, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. they were basically the opposite emails. One person said, <laughs> hey... So screen X is essentially they project stuff on the sides of the walls. Yeah, there's extra footage that gets extra. Pro- yeah, there's extra. Yeah, and and this one person said, okay, well, usually you expect those to be screen like white screens, but this person went in and there was only they were projecting it on the walls, um, like no no actual like white screens or anything. Um, so this person wrote in and said it was a. Uh, uh, the, the scenes were projected on the walls. He said, quote, pretty ugly. They were fuzzy looking and the color of the film just looked dull. Overall, not a format in which you should see a movie. Just stick with IMAX or Dolby. I think that was so, maybe a bad So that was that was Stephen H. Then we got yeah. another email from Nick from Milwaukee writing into slash filmcast.gmail.com who said um, that uh, of the two-hour runtime, the screens were used about 20 minutes uh, and they were, that therefore it was very disappointing. But that... Nick had a great time. Like he loved the 20 minutes. It was like, this is amazing. The 20 go. minutes that it was happening. Go to Milwaukee. So, if you want good screen X, it's, it's yeah. sort of like, uh, the, the footage from the sphere of U2's concert. That's been hitting Twitter over the oh, weekend. Yeah. Like, I want to see like being so surrounded by video is a really cool experience. I, I haven't done screen X yet. We have one. Here. I want to go to that sphere in Vegas. So I need to bad. go, we need to go to the sphere. Yeah. I'm, I'm planning on going, I'm planning on going. So, um, I want to go to that work- sphere and hear somebody tell me the story about Darth Plagueis, the 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 wise, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, anyway, at the end of the day, it's really impressive that Gareth Edwards made a movie, <laughs> not Evans, not Evans. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from Tim McEwen from the Midnight. Our spoiler bumper uh, and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. Uh, be sure to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can sign up for ad free episodes and exclusive after darks next week. It's going to be exorcist, the believer 
Uh, and be sure to check out our Patreon After Dark in preparation. We're going to be discussing The Exorcist. Should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. All right, folks. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of The Filmcast. Uh, again, huge shout out to everyone who listens, who shares our work, who pays for our work, and makes the show possible. Until next time, we'll see you. Goodbye. Goodbye.